So we're supposed to be watching Andy McCabe's uh, butt pucker on on live stream, but it's really not there yet. So um, I think maybe we could do some morning housekeeping and kind of recap what's happened, uh, you know, in these days. Well, yesterday and what the media is trying to cover up and not tell you um, and how hard it's been to keep my mouth shut. Uh, so. Uh, this is, uh, what did, what did Schumer say? It's the new dawn. You know who used that phrase? Stalin did. You know who else used that phrase? Hitler did. You know, every single dictator has used that phrase. Uh, so that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. Now, mail to the chief is going out like crazy. Uh, I know the president is always very excited to hear from us. You know it, right? He's an emotional guy. We see him when he's on stage. We see him and it's, um, and it's pretty insane. Now let's see, I'm going to share my Twitter feed to tell you what's important to know today. And, um, let's see, let me get my Twitter up and shared because, you know, yesterday I, uh, Millie was doing a show, uh, talking about and dropping an actual document. And I was kind of like, all right, so should we, we wanted to send it to a few people first before we release it. Um, and kind of talk about their plan because they have a plan, right? They have a plan. We trust their plan because okay? they're sticking to it like crazy. Uh, so this morning I uh, got off the phone early with a source of mine in Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, because yesterday they were supposed to be um, certifying the elections. That was their normal deadline because they were finishing the write-ins and stuff, right? Or the last minute votes, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the provisional ballots too. And um, so I get a text and um well, it's on a text. It's well, I can't say. And my source says, "All right, Tori, we're certifying them. They've already done it, so we're getting ready." And then it's like, "Oh my gosh, they just put it off." So, um, obviously, other reporters that I had tipped off that they're certifying, which means that we could kick off an audit, um, reached out, and the Secretary of State made the following statement. Okay, it's so insane. Where's the statement? There it is. The state canvassing board will meet at 1.30 on Friday, Friday the 13th, November 13th, to certify state and district election results. Damn. So last minute they pull it. So why are they doing it then? Why are they doing it then? What are they doing? In other news, people are a few years behind on the news. So you have to wonder why is it that, you know, Vox is now reporting that the Google former Google CEO, uh, Eric Schmidt, 
uh, applied for Cypriot citizenship. Uh, duh, we were here talking about it when I told you guys that in 2015, Eric Braverman was not missing. He was in the Ukraine with Google raising money for CrowdStrike because they needed to find Hillary's emails or documents and other stuff and election meddling software on the DNC server before anybody else could. And if, if you know, I've stated it many times that USA, Ukraine, and Cypriot passports is what all these clowns have all of them. And let's not forget, Cyprus is part of the crown. Now, in other news, Albert Burla uh, talks about the Pfizer vaccine and says, I'd really love to take the vaccine, but other people have priority. So what's the rule of thumb? Rule of thumb is if if, if uh, the chef won't eat their food, that's a red flag. So if the people that are making the vaccine um, don't take the vaccine, that's also a red flag. So I wanted to share a clip um, of Tucker yesterday. Hold on, because I want to show you how this, uh, how this psyop stuff works. Okay, it's it's so incredible because while Tucker was spitting truth on air and letting the world know what's going on, who's going on, <laughs> uh, they literally were putting out. Good evening. Welcome to Tucker Carlson. Hold on, let me share it. They were literally putting tickers on tickers. Uh inferring that the president of the United States is an agent of Russia. And that was pretty incredible. So Tucker just shared this video. You're not going to see the ticker on this, but I want you guys to pay attention to what the media conglomerates do. Tucker was spitting truth, but what did they do at the bottom of the screen? They were running. Oh, uh, Putin won't, you know, um, congratulate Joe Biden, but yet he was so quick to congratulate Trump. And it's like, why would Putin congratulate someone that's not been elected and is not president elect? Like what is going on here? Take a listen. It's hard to trust anything you hear right now. We've heard you. We're grateful that you trust us and we will try to be worthy of your trust. We want to begin tonight by assessing some of the things no doubt you have heard about last week's presidential election. There are conflicting versions of virtually every part of that story. But as of right now, here's what we think we know. For much of election night, Donald Trump seemed to be leading in a number of key swing states. Then early Wednesday morning, he began to fall behind. That trend continued more or less for several days. On Saturday, the media declared Joe Biden the president-elect. Biden quickly Good accepted Welcome that to Tucker Carlson Biden tonight. campaign now for- has something called the Office of the President-Elect. It sounds official, which of course is the point of setting it up. And in the end, it's possible it will be official. If after all the questions have been answered, it becomes clear that Joe Biden is the legitimate winner of the presidential election, we will accept that and we'll encourage others to accept it too. We're Americans first. We want what is best for this country. We want our system of government to continue Whether it does continue, though, depends in part on how we proceed from here. As of tonight, tens of millions of Americans suspect this election was stolen from them. That means we now live in a country where a large percentage of our population no longer believes that our democracy is real. That is sad. It is also dangerous. It could easily get worse. What we're doing in response is hardly the solution. It is making our country much more volatile. It is setting us up for something bad. In a democracy, you cannot ignore honest questions from citizens. You're not allowed. 
You can't dismiss them out of hand as crazy or immoral for asking. You can't just cut away from coverage you don't like. You can't simply tell people to accept an outcome because force doesn't work in a democracy. That's dictatorship. In a free society, you have to convince the public of your legitimacy. You have to win them over with reason. Democracy is always a voluntary arrangement. So that that heeds true for everything. Uh, they will skew the public opinion to convince you someone is bad, someone is good. Now, what's interesting is, is that the actual website, take a look, of the Senate, right, is not airing the hearing, but for some reason Fox has it on with no, um, no, no, no picture, which is very, very, very concerning. But we're going to hear it anyway. Ooh, there's the picture. What the heck is happening? Okay, so has it not started? Where is it? Hmm. We're going to watch this, guys. We are going to watch this, and we are going to enjoy it. We're going to watch. Uh, here's the picture. And unfortunately, it, um, it has a... Uh, Damn, Graham. Okay, so while we wait for them to start, let me just unmute their tab. While I continue to believe an in-person appearance is a better vehicle for a fair and vigorous oversight hearing, the current status of the COVID-19 pandemic compels me to be extremely cautious about where I go and what I do. My wife is a frontline first responder who takes care of children and their families in our local emergency room. I try to avoid unnecessary chances of potential exposure that might put her at risk and possibly endanger her ability to continue caring for our community. In July of 2016, the FBI initiated an investigation codenamed Crossfire Hurricane to determine whether an individual or individuals from the Trump presidential campaign might be coordinating with the Russian government to interfere with our 2016 presidential election. The concerns that led to our initiation of this case are well known. In the fall of 2014, the FBI had begun tracking cyber actors affiliated with Russia who were targeting U.S. political institutions, academic think tanks, and other entities. In the spring of 2016, this activity intensified as new Russian cyber actors invaded computer networks at the Democratic National Committee. At the time, we did not know what they planned to do with the information they were stealing from the DNC, but soon we found out. In July 2016, Russian intelligence agents, acting through the online alias Guccifer 2.0, published hundreds of thousands of emails and other information stolen from the DNC with the intent of damaging Hillary Clinton on the eve of the Democratic National Convention. This malicious use of stolen information signaled a new level of hostility directed at the heart of American democracy. Several months before this release, and unknown to the FBI at that time, a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign, George Papadopoulos, informed a diplomat from a friendly foreign government that the Trump campaign had, quote, received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton, close quote. It was only after the DNC information was publicly released in July that the diplomat communicated the content of his conversation with Papadopoulos to the United States government. So what did we know? 
in July 2016. Well, we had known for almost two years that the Russians were targeting our political institutions in cyberspace. By the spring of 2016, we knew the Russians had stolen information from the DNC. By July, we knew the Russians had used that information in a manner designed to hurt Hillary Clinton's chances in the election. And then we learned that before the Russians attacked us, an individual from the Trump campaign may have known the attack was coming. FBI policy sets the threshold for opening a full field investigation as the moment when you have information or articulable facts that indicate a threat to national security might exist or that a federal crime might have been committed. In July of 2016, we had both. Russian intelligence services attacking our democratic process, possibly in coordination with the presidential campaign. We opened a case to investigate and try to mitigate that threat and to find out what the Russians might have done. Let me be very clear. We did not open a case because we liked one candidate or didn't like the other one. We did not open a case because we intended to stage a coup or overthrow the government. We did not open a case because we thought it might be interesting or because we wanted to drag the FBI into a heated political contest. We opened a case to find out how the Russians might be undermining our election. We opened a case because it was our obligation and our duty to do so. We did our job. DOIG's review of four FISA applications and other aspects of the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation, investigation, and I have reviewed the report. I was shocked and disappointed at the errors and mistakes that DOIG found. To me, any material misrepresentation or error in a FISA application is unacceptable, period. The FBI should be held to the standard of scrupulous accuracy. Okay, we're muting him. Let me tell you something. So I'm going to tell you something really good. You hear what he said? They didn't open up a FISA because they wanted to perform a coup. They didn't want to do all that for a coup. Look at Lindsey Graham yawning. They didn't want to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, we're going to use his words soon. Because you have to remember, we had Hillary Clinton's... Um, well, I had <laughs> part of the DNC server, so other people have it because I sent it off. Uh, so we have the server. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Wiener's laptop. We had Hunter Biden's laptop all in 2018. We had so much evidence. So when you have evidence of foreign nations colluding, selling off your nation, using your nation as a prop to make money, all that stuff. When you use, when that occurs, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. You go to the FISA court and say, these individuals are using their positions in office and they're colluding with foreign nations. They're making money. They're getting paid by other nations, right? This is why you go to the FISA court and then you get a FISA warrant. So riddle me this. They were able to get FISA warrants on a bunch of people with a fake PP dossier. How many FISA warrants do you think we got with phones? the DNC server, Wiener's laptop, Biden's laptop. How many? That's right. These fuckers had no idea, and excuse my French because I am so angry. They had no idea up until Tony Bobolinsky came out that there's FISA warrants on their heads. 
FISA warrants on each and every one of them. We have been looking, listening, and watching. That's why when the president says we caught them all, we freaking caught them all. And huh, it's going to be really interesting when it comes out that it may be possible that one person on the Supreme Court may have whistled a little bit to help give some people some cover. But nothing can stop what's coming. There's flies on every wall, and that's the way it goes. These, it, look, I, we don't need to listen to Andy McCabe. He's doing his opening statement. We want to listen to him answer. But I'm telling you, they got caught. We have everything we need. We caught them all. We had legal FISA warrants because there was evidence of collusion with foreign governments. So no matter what, and we did this before Joe Biden threw his hat in the race because that's what happened. So let's listen to Lindsey Graham. Let's see what he has to say. FBI did, did not want him to have access to classified information. He's echoing. I promised Mr. McCabe we would not go into the details of his dismissal. But I don't want anybody to have the belief that this committee chose for him not to have access. It was his former employer who made that decision. Uh, now, that's very stream, quickly, not me. did anyone from the Trump campaign wind up being prosecuted for colluding with the Russians? Senator, it's my understanding, the results of the Mueller investigation, that no one was prosecuted for criminal conspiracy involving um that, activity would, that would include Mr. Papadopoulos, is that correct? Uh, Mr. Papadopoulos, to the best of my recollection, was prosecuted for making false statements right. to FBI agents. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Let's make sure that the FBI treated both sides fairly. Um, Senator Feinstein suggested it was right to open up the investigation against the Trump campaign. You say it was right. It was your duty. Let's look at uh, the entire record of the 2016 election and see how even-handed the FBI was. On September the 7th, 2016, the CIA, now not the uh, Australian ambassador of the United Kingdom in London, but our CIA sends an investigative lead over to the FBI. And they informed the FBI of U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail service. How many agents were assigned to investigate that? Senator, if you are referring to the memorandum, the raw intelligence memorandum recently declassified by the DNI. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have read that memorandum and I, I, I don't understand it to be a request for investigative activity. Uh, I'm not aware that any agents were uh, assigned to investigate the Wait information. A Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. You get an, you get a memo, an investigative lead is what the CIA calls it, alleging that Hillary Clinton had just signed off on a plan to tie Trump to Russia for political purposes. How many people looked at that? How many agents were assigned to see if it was true or not? Did you well, know Senator, about it? Did you know about it? Uh, I was not aware of that memorandum. Wait a until minute. Time out. Time out. Time out. You get a CIA memo, investigative lead memo, suggesting that the Democratic candidate for president, Hillary Clinton, is trying to divert attention from her 
email server problem by casting aspersions against the Trump campaign being connected to Russia and you didn't know about it. How is that possible? So I'd like to explain to you uh, how that's possible. Who did it uh, go to? Who did it go to? I will. I, will. I just want to make sure if he understands Sorry. who it went to. Who did the memo go uh, to? I, I recently, I read the memo recently. And my understanding, it went to the to Director Comey and was also to the attention of Peter Strzok. Um, that memorandum that you're referring to, as I read it, is in response to an FBI request, oral request, for an update of the sort of information that the Crossfire uh, Hurricane Task Force was reviewing about Russian uh, activity activated. in the campaign. That's from my best recollection. Well, well, what, I, I'm, here to, I'm here to so. tell you that that's not what happened is that the CIA, and we've got the documents, sent to the FBI information suggesting that Hillary Clinton had approved of a plan to link Donald Trump to Russia for political purposes, and it went to Peter Strzok. Do you believe Peter Strzok was fair-minded when it came to the Trump campaign? Um, Senator, my experience is working with Peter Strzok. Uh, yes, I believe he was fair and the decisions that he made and the work that he did. So do you object to Mueller relieving him from the investigation because of the emails show that he hated Trump's guts? Um, my recollection stirs that uh, we removed Peter from that team uh, because did, of the ongoing did, investigation. Did, did you his, remove him or uh, did Mueller remove him? Uh, we had conversations uh, on the evening that I it was first shown the text messages between Mr. Strzok and Ms. Page. And we made the decision to remove him and we reached out to uh, right. Director Mueller's team and they agreed with that. That's my recollection. So you believe that Peter Strzok was on the up and up. Were you ever, was it ever suggested to you by Mr. Precept that Mr. Strzok should not be involved in this investigation because of his relationship with Lisa Page? Uh, Senator, to um, I remember discussing with um, both Mr. Priestap and Mr. Steinbach. Um, so here's probably the in here well, the here are the I'm, facts. Precept suggests that Strzok not be involved. You overrode him. And here's what we know about Strzok and Page. Page, March 3rd, 2016. God, Trump is a loathsome human. Oh, my God, Strzok, Trump's an idiot. He's awful. Struck. God, Hillary should win $100 million to nothing. August 2016. Page. He's not ever going to become president, right? Struck. No, no, he won't. We'll stop it. So is it your testimony under oath that you think Peter Struck <clears throat> had no biases against Trump? Senator, it is my testimony under oath that the work Please finish. So I was simply stating that the work that I saw Peter do uh, on this case and other cases, from that work and the decisions he Vated. made, I did Bomb not see detonation countdown successfully started. Did you? Can, how do you explain to the American people that when the FBI received a memo from the CIA alleging that Hillary Clinton had signed off on a plan concerning U.S. presidential Donald Trump? and Russia hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from our use of a private mail service that you did nothing. Should Peter Strzok have told you about this? 
I can't explain to you, Senator, what Peter Strzok or Director Comey thought about that memo at that Should time. you have been noticed? Uh, what, I can, what I can say, Senator, Wait a minute. No, that, wait a minute. No, I mean, no, the, please, please. I want to get into this. Everybody is saying that you had the right to open up an investigation against Trump based on the U.S. ambassador, the, excuse me, the Australian ambassador to the United Kingdom who heard a conversation in a bar. What you're telling this committee when the CIA informs the FBI about a plan signed off by Hillary Clinton to link Trump to Russia, nothing was done. Is that what you're saying? There was no investigation of that allegation at all. What I'm saying, sir, Senator, is it is not clear to me that there's an allegation of criminal conduct in that memorandum. That is based on my current reading of it. I did not it, see it at the it, time. It, I can't it, tell it's you not, what others A counterintelligence about. investigation is what was opened up against Trump, not a criminal investigation. Is that true? Papadopoulos was a counterintelligence investigation. Uh, the case against Mr. Papadopoulos was a counterintelligence case. So That's if correct. you're going to have a counterintelligence investigation opened up against the Trump campaign based on a conversation by the Australian ambassador to the United Kingdom based on a bar conversation, you're telling me that's legit and you put all the resources for two and a half years to run that down. But you're telling this committee when our own CIA suggests that Hillary Clinton signed off on a plan to link Trump to Russia for political purposes, you didn't do a damn thing. Is that your testimony? No, sir. That's not my testimony. Well, what happened? My testimony, uh, I'm happy to explain to you how we thought about the issue with Mr. Papadopoulos. No, that's, that's not my question. Saying. No, my question is, why did the FBI not open up an investigation based on the CIA input? The CIA is telling the FBI that they have information that Hillary Clinton signed off a plan to deflect attention for her and put uh, Trump in a bad light regarding Russia. That came in September 2016. You didn't know about it, apparently. Can you explain to this committee and the American people why the FBI did nothing regarding that allegation? I cannot, sir, explain to you what... Peter Strzok or anyone else thought about that at the time, but I can explain to you that Mr. information in that memo. I, I, I accept that you believe that Mr. Papadopoulos should be looked at. I'm not arguing with you. I don't understand how you can tell how the FBI operated. You've got a tip from a Australian ambassador, of the United Kingdom talking about a bar conversation with Mr. Papadopoulos about Russia hacking, and that leads to two and a half years of turning the country upside down. Your own CIA informs the FBI in September that they have information that Hillary Clinton herself signed off on a plan to divert attention from her email problems to Trump by linking him to Russia for political purposes. And Mr. Strzok never told you about it. The FBI never opened up an investigation. They never hired one. Successfully agent. started. That really is disturbing to a lot of us. Now, let's go to the warrant. In June 2016, excuse me, 2017, did you sign off on the Carter Page warrant application? In June of 2016, yes. 17, I'm sorry. 17, I'm sorry. 2017. Okay. Did you know at the time that the CIA had uh, warned the FBI on numerous occasions to be careful using the dossier? It was internet rumor. I did not know that at the time, and I'm, I don't know that now. Okay. Well, we got a list of, uh, let's see, 
list of CIA informs the FBI, FBI that Carter Page had approved had been approved as an operational contact from 2008 to 2013. Did you know that the CIA had told the FBI that in August of 2017? No, sir. The reason that's important, that would explain why Mr. Page was actually talking to people he claimed to be talking with. Uh, did you know, um, did you have a conversation with Mr. Orr about the reliability of Christopher Steele? I had a conversation in October of 2016 about with Mr. Orr about his interactions with um, Mr. Steele. Did he tell you you should be concerned and be careful? I don't remember him saying I should be concerned or be careful now. In the fall of 2016, this is his testimony to the committee. You put Mr. Cabe on notice. Hey, you need to watch this. You need to verify. I certainly gave him the same caveats and of a better term. I think he understood because he also worked on Russia criminal matters. So we have Mr. Orr under oath saying that expressed concerns to you, Strzok, and others about the reliability of Mr. Steele. You don't remember that? Senator, I don't remember the specifics of our conversation. However, we were engaged in trying to determine um, and verify the statements in Mr. Steele's reporting at that time. So okay. we were certainly concerned about were, those things. Were, were you aware of the subsource interview in January and March to the FBI? I was aware that uh, an individual who our team thought of as uh, one of the primary subsources had been identified and that they were interviewed. Did they tell you about the substance of those that? interviews? Uh, not in detail. So... You didn't know that in January, the subsource tells the FBI he had no idea where some of the language attributed to him came from. His contacts never mentioned some of the information attributed to them. He said he did not know the origins of other information that was supposedly from his contacts. He did not recall other information attributed to him or his contacts. Still used incorrect source characterizations, characterizations for the primary subsource's contacts. Uh, that in March, he said he never expected to Steele to put his statements in reports or present them as facts. The statements were word of mouth and hearsay conversations had with friends over beers or statements made in jest that should be taken with a grain of salt. Was any of that ever communicated to you? Uh, no, sir. Not that I can recall. If you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant application in June of 2017 against Carter Page? Uh, no, sir. Okay. Finally, who is responsible for ruining Mr. Carter Page's life? If it's not you, if it's not Rosenstein, if it's not successfully Tony, activated, if it's not Sally Bomb Yates, detonation countdown successfully who's started. Who's responsible for putting together the information provided to the FISA court that was completely devoid of the truth? lacking material facts, completely represented what Mr. Page did and how he did it, who should we look to for that responsibility? Well, sir, I, I don't agree with the way that you've characterized the That's what the court of, said. Um, I, I think as the IG pointed out in the conclusions of their report. Who's responsible, that, Mr. McKay? Know, everyone who, every person. Everybody's who responsible. Role, nobody's responsible. Sir, it would help if you'd allow me to finish my answer. I think it might be 
uh, easier to understand. Okay. The question is who's responsible. Are, and I think that we are all responsible for the work that went into that FISA. I am certainly responsible as a person in a leadership position with oversight over these matters. I accept that responsibility fully. Did you mislead, um, the, did you mislead the FISA court? Uh, I signed a package that included uh, numerous factual errors or failed to include information that should have been brought to the court. And what should and, be done? Um, what should be done to you and others? Jail. Yeah, Senator, I think we're Treason. We are doing that with this process. I think the F, our efforts should be focused on figuring out how these errors took place and ensuring that they don't happen again. That starts with those who committed the problem being held accountable, Senator Feinstein. Well, Mr. Chairman, I hope, you know, <laughs> she's going to talk. This is difficult. Forces want hearings open, and then they get opened, and reports get done, and then they get castigated for doing it. And in his 434-page report, I.G. Horowitz confirmed that the FBI had a legitimate reason to open the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Attorney General Barr disagreed with the IG's finding and has since referred to it as the bogus Russiagate scandal. So this is the first time I have heard this kind of thing happening. And Liar. one witness told the IG that, quote, it would have been a dereliction of duty and responsibility of the highest order not to investigate. Do you agree with that? Yeah, just like renegade investigation that's been open since 2018. Please agree. I'm sorry, Senator. Uh, I, I absolutely agree that it would have been a dereliction of duty for us to not initiate um, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation in the way that we did. Now, as I understand it, it was a counterintelligence investigation into Trump campaign ties to Russia. You opened a counterintelligence investigation. I know all of you want to hear what Feinstein has to say. I'm just going to mute her for a second. Let me tell you something. Do you know why we're having this hearing right now? Because now they're confirming that it would have been a bad thing if you didn't investigate the PP dossier. So I want to see how they're going to come back and say it was a bad thing. Why we opened up a counterintelligence and got FISA warrants on Biden, Kamala, Hillary, Renegade. What is it? The Renegade investigation, right? Operation Renegade, should we call that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when they come back and say, oh, you did this because you didn't want Joe Biden as president. Well, we started in 2018. He wasn't uh, a candidate then. And we have evidence. I mean, it would be a derelict dereliction of our duties if we didn't investigate getting $1.5 billion from China, you know, the shenanigans in Ukraine, what we found on the DNC server. So this is how we get them on the record, justifying the PP dossier so they can't come back at us and say, you shouldn't have done your renegade investigation. Well, you know, it can't be okay for a PP dossier and not okay for statements from foreign leaders, emails, videos, audios, phone calls, transcripts, MOUs, and election meddling software. Investigation. Um, we had a series of alarming, uh, inter I should say, Director Comey had a series of alarming interactions with President Trump. 
in which it became pretty clear to us that he did not want us to continue investigating what the Russians had done. He actually asked at one point that we stop investigating uh, General Flynn. He then fired Director Comey when we, he also asked that we state publicly that he was not under investigation. Um, when we didn't do that and we didn't close the investigation on General Flynn, he fired Director Comey. Uh, he then stated publicly that he was, he'd fired Director Comey thinking about the Russians. He then told the Russians that he had fired Director Comey and that that had relieved a lot of pressure that had been on him. So we had many reasons at that point to believe that the president uh, might himself pose a danger to national security and that he might have engaged in obstruction of justice if the firing of the director and those other things were geared towards eliminating or stopping uh, our investigation of Russian activity. Oh, wait a so, minute. So you mean like the impeachment scandals that you've done? You mean like COVID? You mean like all these things? Okay, because we need to remember these words because it would be a dereliction of our duties if we didn't investigate quid pro Joe. I mean, he said, hey, you either fire him or you're not getting money. There he is pimping along our federal tax dollars to another government. I mean, it would be... Huh, like, that's your job. We're, we were just doing our job. I mean, you're saying you were just doing your job on the fake PP dossier. McCabe, thank you. Thank you for giving us everything we need for what's to come. What was found on that point? Well, that's the point, uh, uh, Senator, in which we handed the investigation on the first four people and the investigation of President Trump and the investigation of former Attorney General Sessions over to the special counsel team. And I, and I think, you know, we all know what happened uh, at the conclusion of that investigation, the details that are provided in the Mueller report, I think provide uh, pretty solid uh, results that, that verify and um, um, that our, our concerns were valid. Uh, so the, I, I'm very confident in the in the work that the special counsel did, and I think it it uh, proved that our concerns at that time were were uh, legitimate. Would you go into some of those concerns and <clears throat> what the report showed? Sure. So we uh, opened the initial crossfire hurricane investigation because predominantly the statements of George Papadopoulos, which indicated that. People, maybe Mr. Papadopoulos, maybe others affiliated with the campaign might be coordinating with Russia. Um, in my, my recollection of the results of the special counsel's investigation is that they found, I think it was over a hundred different connections between people affiliated with or part of the Trump campaign and Russians or, or people affiliated with the Russian government or Russian intelligence services. So. Clearly, our concern that there might be connections here that we should be looking into to ensure there's no danger to national security was proven true. Um, on the obstruction of justice side, uh, I think as is well known, uh, Director Mueller concluded that he could not uh, indict or, or seek an indictment of a sitting president due to Department of Justice policy. However, the volume two of the Mueller report lays out in pretty, uh, pretty excruciating detail um, at least 10 different categories of behavior or activity that the president engaged in. And I think, to the best of my recollection, in at least eight of those categories, 
the elements of the offense of obstruction of justice, evidence to prove each element of the offense of obstruction of justice are present in those you know, categories of behavior. So um, it's a fairly, uh, it's a bit legalistic, and I apologize for that explanation, but it is a fairly compelling case that the president was, in fact, engaging in behavior that you could easily categorize as obstruction of justice. So once again, our concern that the president might be obstructing justice was verified by the results of the Mueller report. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Cornyn. Mr. McCabe, I uh, revere the Department of Justice. I revere the FBI. What's happened over the last four years has revealed an FBI gone rogue that has interfered with not just one candidate, but with two candidates for president of the United States, starting with Hillary Clinton. And then, of course, investigation of the current president, Donald Trump. How is it that the FBI decided to interfere in the election of not just one, but two candidates for president of the United States? Well, Senator, I, I don't agree with your characterization of our work as having gone rogue. Um, and I would also say that at no time while I was in the FBI, did we make a decision to interfere in any presidential election? We, did, you, did, you, uh, did you participate in the discussions leading up to the July 5th, 2016 press conference that Director Comey held uh, on the uh, email investigation? Did, did you agree with that? And did you support his decision to go public with that announcement? Uh, Senator, I, I was a part of those decisions at the time. I supported it at the time. I feel very differently about it now. Um, I'm happy to go into detail about that if you'd like. And you understand that uh, while you thought that firing the FBI director may be some evidence of, uh, of Russian involvement with uh, President Trump, um, you're familiar with the Rod Rosenstein memo, which was at least in part the reason why Director Comey was fired, correct? I learned of the, um, yes, yes. I became familiar with that maybe the day that uh, Director Comey was fired. What I don't understand, Mr. McCabe, is your relationship with Director Comey. Did Director Comey know everything you knew, or did you selectively tell him or report to him about things that the FBI was doing? Well, I, I can't say, Senator, I, I, I can't say what Director Comey knew, but I can tell you that Director Comey and I um, attended numerous meetings together, briefings every day that it was my practice to discuss all of the major issues that we were dealing with, that I was dealing with, with Director Comey. So we, we spoke frequently about, um, you know, most topics. I can't uh, tell you with perfect accuracy everything that we talked about, but we, we talked a lot. So he was pretty, pretty up to speed on what was going on at all times. Did you or Director Comey consult with uh, Attorney General Lynch or Deputy Attorney G Sally Yates about the counterintelligence investigation of uh, the Senator. Trump campaign? Yes, sir. Our team met with the folks, the DOJ leadership of the National Security Division, 
um, within a day or so of opening the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and inform them of what we had done and what we thought about the case and the people who were being investigated. And then uh, Director Comey and I, well, I won't speak for Director Comey. I had follow-up conversations with um, department leadership uh, in, in the days that followed and, and many times during the course of the investigation. Mr. McCabe, who should be held accountable for the submission of a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act application that contained a lie about Carter Page with regard to his activities on behalf of another agency of the federal government? And who should be held accountable for relying on the now discredited Steele dossier? I think that's the question people would like an answer to. Who should be held accountable? Senator, I think um, all of the people involved in this work should be and have been held accountable. Um, I feel like the oversight process that we are engaged in now, the participation and cooperation and the efforts of the Inspector General, I think all of these elements of the work that the FBI has done internally to address um, everything from individuals to processes involved, I think those are all essential steps to ensure that uh, this these errors are fixed and that we take appropriate steps not to make them in the future. Well, it's 2020, and these occurred back in 2016. I don't think the, uh, I certainly don't have any confidence that uh, the people who were responsible for this debacle over the last four years will ultimately be held responsible. I hope I'm wrong. So I don't agree with my friend from uh, California that's now a time to turn the page. We need to make sure that nothing like this ever, ever happens again to any candidate or any president regardless of their political party. I have to tell you, my biggest concern, Mr. McCabe, is that the FBI under James Comey and under your leadership as deputy director of the FBI can do this, what they did to Hillary Clinton, a candidate for president of the United States, and can do it to Donald J. Trump, both as a candidate and a current president of the United States. What chance does an average citizen have if they're under investigation by an FBI led by led by leaders in, in uh, the fashion that, uh, that you and Mr. Comey led during the time of these investigations? What confidence can an average citizen have that they would have any chance at all? Senator, I, I disagree with you. I think that uh, all Americans should and do have great confidence in the FBI today and during the time I was there and before that. The FBI conducts tens of investigations. The witnesses we come across and the sources of information we work with are, um, are protected during the course of those investigations. That doesn't mean that, that we, make, we don't make mistakes. We do. We're a, a, an organization of human beings and people make mistakes. Um, and when that happens, I think we go through a rigorous process to ensure that we don't make those mistakes again. Well, when but you I, make, when, when you make mistakes, a, other people pay the price, apparently. Let me just ask one final question, uh, Mr. McCabe. On March the 16th, uh, you were terminated by the FBI 
following an investigation of the Office of Inspector General and the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility, uh, which found that you had made an unauthorized disclosure to the news media and you lacked candor, including under oath on multiple occasions. Isn't that correct? Senator, it is correct that I um, was the subject of a biased and deeply flawed and unfair investigation by the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General. Victim card. And I've been pretty clear in my vigorous objection to that investigation and its findings and conclusions. I filed a federal lawsuit. Um, and I think I would refer you to the specific comments in that lawsuit. It's not proper for me to discuss the details of that investigation now that it's in front of a federal judge. Thank you. Senator Durbin. Mr. Chairman, anyone across America who tuned into this hearing has a right to be confused. If you were told this is a hearing on a presidential election, it's true, but not the one that occurred a week ago. We are talking about a presidential election campaign four years ago. Yes, we are focusing on a presidential election, but we are examining for the fourth time the role of Russians in the 2016 election four years ago. And more importantly, we are discussing President Trump's conclusion, despite intelligence evidence to the contrary, that the Russian collusion was a hoax. For this Senate Judiciary Committee, it's all about Hillary. It's all about outgoing President Trump's bizarre theories of justice. This is a last-ditch, desperate undertaking to deal with President Trump's grievances about that election. We've all conceded the point. Carter Page was not treated properly. Both sides of the aisle have said as much. How many more times do we need to say it? I want to say it again today because I still believe it. But what are we actually facing here? What is the state of play in America today that the Senate Judiciary Committee might be interested in? Well, let's take a few items. We did have an election, a landmark moment in history. A sitting president, Donald Trump, who has routinely disrespected the rule of law, undermined democratic institutions, put his own interest ahead of the interests of the American people, ignored science and public health when it comes to this pandemic, and violated basic standards of honesty and de decency in unprecedented numbers, a clear majority of Americans voted to say, that's it, we're finished with you. And replace him with President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, incidentally two senators who served honorably on this committee. The election sent a clear message. It's time to stop relitigating issues of the last election. It's time finally to put behind us the divisiveness and vitriol of the Trump era and to bring our fractured country together to address COVID-1 and put our economy back on its feet. But here we are today, seven days after that election, and our committee is holding another partisan hearing to advance President Trump's theories. This is the fourth hearing this year on the last administration, the previous administration's Justice Department, in response to President Trump's repeated calls to investigate the investigators and to try to rewrite the story of Russia's involvement in the 2016 campaign. Meanwhile, the Senate Judiciary Committee that we sit on here hasn't held a single oversight hearing 
on the Trump administration's Justice Department in this Congress. Any issues we might want to raise? I can think of a few. Perhaps we might even investigate the Department of Homeland Security and their zero tolerance policy. I regret what happened to Carter Page, and I've said so before, but I also regret what happened to 2,200 infants, toddlers, and children who were physically removed from their parents by the zero tolerance policy of the Trump administration and the fact that 545 of those children still are in an abandoned status today. 545. So my question, as has been asked to the witness before us today, is who should be held responsible? Why wouldn't the Senate Judiciary Committee even care to have a hearing? Why wouldn't the Immigration Subcommittee, which I am a ranking member on with the senator from Texas, even have one hearing on that issue? None. But this is the fourth hearing we're having, going back over this well-plowed ground. There are some timely issues related to the Department of Justice who we might even have considered today. Let me give you one. Yesterday, Attorney General Bill Barr issued a memo authorizing federal prosecutors to, quote, pursue substantial allegations of voting and vote tabulation regularities prior to the certification of elections. The Attorney General's memo represents another instance of his sacrificing the reputation of the Department of Justice to serve the political interests of President Donald Trump. Attorney General Barr is clearly attempting to fabricate a veneer of legitimacy for the baseless claims of voter fraud made by President Trump and his supporters. And he's doing so by overriding longstanding Department of Justice policies that were put in place to prevent this very type of political interference in an election season. Let me tell you what the previous guidelines that previous attorney generals honored said, quote, Public knowledge of a criminal investigation could impact the adjudication of election litigation and contests in state courts. Accordingly, it is the general policy of the Justice Department not to conduct overt investigations. End of quote. Attorney General Barr jettisoned that standard yesterday. The Barr memo prompted the Department of Justice Director of Election Crimes Branch to resign from his position. An issue the Senate Judiciary Committee might want to be concerned about? No, I'm sorry. We're back relitigating the 2016 election. We're going to go through that all over again, maybe a fifth time, instead of asking pertinent and relevant questions about what's happening today. Mr. Richard Pilger, who resigned from that position, noted that Barr's memo, quote, abrogated the 40-year-old non-interference policy for ballot fraud allegations in the period prior to elections becoming certified and uncontested. End of quote. When General Barr came before me in my office, I... Let's stop that for a second. So let's talk about this for one moment. So he's referring to Richard Pilger, who they claim resigned yesterday. Richard Pilger, for over 10 years, has been in charge of election crimes. He is the one that's supposed to be prosecuting people that commit election crimes, like election ballot harvesting, altering ballots... What else? Election machine fraud, the whole nine yards. Uh, so he resigned supposedly yesterday. The minute Attorney General Barr said the prosecutors have the right to prosecute for election crimes.
Now, he's making him sound like a hero, but what he omitted to state is that he said, oh, when Attorney General Barr came to me, let me tell you why. So there's a procedure usually when cabinet members are in trouble. Now, I'm speculating here, but uh, we all know, and it was reported, that uh, former Secretary Esper was in the presence of the majority Senate leader yesterday morning when he was fired, accompanied with the Attorney General of the United States. So I want you to think, when have people been fired with the Attorney General present? kind of sounds like maybe someone was handed an indictment. I mean, I'm just speculating right now, but why else would the attorney general hand the asses of the secretary of the DOD and this guy that for 10 years has been overseeing election crime and letting those crimes happen, their hands over. Hmm. But here he is sticking up for Richard. Richard. Hmm treason can someone say treason 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 i asked him point blank why do you want to be donald trump's attorney general well he said you should have seen the list of other people who might have been also considered i i thought that i should step in at that point and secondly he said i want to preserve the reputation of the department of justice is there anyone on or off this committee who believes that general Barr's actions yesterday preserve the integrity of the Department of Justice, where baseless claims are being made about voter fraud. Do you know what the litigants' record is in court since the election, protesting the outcome of the election? Zero for 10. They have no evidence whatsoever of election fraud. If they did, they would certainly bring it forward. I want to close by thanking former President George W. Bush of Texas for stepping up and doing the honorable thing and acknowledging to now President-elect Joe Biden that he did win, that he will be the next president. And he, President Bush, as a proud Republican, thought that that was time for him to step up for the good of the Republic. I yield. Thanks, Senator uh, Durbin. I would like to respond to some of the comments you made about the committee, what we're doing and why. Number one, we are going to investigate how the Carter Page warrant application was submitted numerous times um, to the FISA court with inaccurate information. I think it's important to have every person who signed it say, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have signed it. To me, it's actually pretty stunning. In the committee in September the 29th received information for Director Radcliffe <clears throat> that in September of 2016, September the 7th, the CIA informs the FBI that candidate Hillary Clinton approved of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russia hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting public from her use of a private mail server. And if you go look at the classified information, there's more there. And I guess what we're saying is that you accept without any doubt that the FBI should have looked at all things Trump based on Papadopoulos that it would have been a dereliction of duty not to do so. What we're suggesting is that when the CIA informs the FBI that Hillary Clinton may have signed off on a plan to link Trump to Russia for political reasons, nobody did anything. There wasn't an investigation opened. Mr. McCabe didn't even know about it. The FBI director says it didn't ring a bell. 
the person it went to was Peter Strzok, who was incredibly biased against President Trump. So I guess what we're saying, if you believe it would have been a dereliction of duty not to look at Trump based on a statement by the Australian ambassador of the United Kingdom regarding a bar conversation in London that led to everything we've dealt with for two and a half years, we were wondering, just out loud here, how could you ignore the CIA information provided to the FBI that the Democratic candidate for president signed off on a plan to link Trump to Russia for political reasons, which may explain some of the garbage or crossfire hurricane. Now, you're okay with that. We're not. You're absolutely perfectly fine with the fact that the Democratic candidate for president of the United States in 2016, the CIA had information she signed off on a plan to link the Republican candidate to Russia for political purposes, and nobody did anything. You're absolutely fine with that. We are not. That is a big deal to me because this won't be the last election we'll ever have. And it, you can't live in a country this way. You can't live in a country where they take a CIA lead and put it in the garbage can and nobody do anything. That's just not fair to this country. That's, that's got to stop. You can't have two standards. Will you help me make sure Mueller doesn't get fired? Yes. Mueller got to do his job. Well, here's what we're upset about. Nobody took allegations from the CIA seriously about Hillary Clinton's effort to sign off on a plan. It may not be true, but somebody should have looked at it. Nobody cared over there. I think most people on this side of the aisle believe that when it came to Clinton and Trump, the FBI and all the people involved with Crossfire Hurricane shut out anything. That would change the narrative that Trump was being involved with the Russians. They ignored every stop sign about Carter Page. They kept ignoring information because they wanted an outcome. And they didn't lift a finger to investigate a lead from our own CIA. Mr. Chairman? Mr. Chairman, may I respond? Yes, please. Mr. Chairman, <clears throat> what you've just said is so alarming that we should have had somewhere along the way a thorough nonpartisan investigation of this whole crossfire hurricane. Well, it turns out we did. Inspector General Michael Horowitz in December of 2019 found that FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation was, quote, opened for an authorized purpose, had adequate factual predication, and was not influenced by bias. FBI Director Christopher Wray, Christopher Wray agreed. That isn't what President Trump or Attorney General Barr or perhaps members of this committee wanted to hear, so they've tried to reopened that independent IG investigation in every partisan way imaginable, and this is the fourth try in this committee. Enough! Well, with all due respect, Senator Durbin, does it not bother you at all that the CIA tells the FBI of a plan that Hillary Clinton may have signed off on and nobody looked at it? May I jump in? Please. Uh, actually, it doesn't. Okay. And I'll tell you why it doesn't. The FBI is in agency of limited and specific jurisdiction. It has the ability to pursue predicated criminal investigations. And I think we've all agreed that a political campaign choosing to tie politically the opponent to a foreign country is not a criminal act. The Trump campaign tried to do that to Joe Biden with China all through this campaign. It's not a criminal act. And if you're looking at this as a counterintelligence investigation, the obvious difference is that the information that the FBI was receiving about Carter Page and the Trump campaign is that there were contacts 
contacts between Russian intelligence operatives and Trump campaign operatives. When you have contacts going on, that does light up a flag on a counterintelligence front. And I don't see how anybody could disagree that that's the case. But when you have a campaign making its internal campaign policy to try to say either, well, Biden's too close to China and you can't trust him, or Trump's too close to Russia and you can't trust him, I don't think the FBI has a lot of business interfering in that type of public campaign political debate. And I would bet you that if the FBI was looking into what the Trump campaign said about Biden with respect to China and whether they had a strategy to try to tie Biden to Trump, to tr Trump, you would be beside yourself with irritation and anger that the FBI had taken that step. And yet here you're excoriating the FBI for staying away from taking that step with respect to an internal political strategy of the Hillary campaign. Right. I don't see how that gets you to either criminality or the type of contacts with a foreign power that raise counterintelligence concerns. So that's my, you You keep asking this question, there's my answer. Well, let me give you my reply to your answer and we'll get to Senator Lee. In this case, there was no criminal investigation opened. It was all counterintelligence based on a conversation by the Australian ambassador of the United Kingdom with Papadopoulos in a bar and we got the tapes. And Papadopoulos said on tape, no, I'm not working with the Russians, that'd be treason. They used that snippet to open up what now is called Crossfire Hurricane in the Mueller investigation. I guess what the one thing you're overlooking here is that the Steele dossier was prepared by Christopher Steele, who was on the payroll of the Democratic Party. He was working through Fusion GPS that was being paid by the Democratic Party. He created a document that was a bunch of garbage. The State Department calls over to the FBI and says, this guy wants Trump not to win in the worst way. Bruce Orr and a bunch of other people warned the FBI that the Christopher Steele document is suspect at best. The CIA informs the FBI that it's internet rumor. So this is a situation where if the Clinton campaign, in fact, created this impression that Trump was working through, with the Russians through Christopher Steele, who was on the payroll, that, yeah, maybe that makes it all make sense. Maybe that explains that this dossier was prepared uh, by a political person, by a person on the payroll that was used to get a warrant against an American citizen. This is the first time I know of that opposition research winds up being used by the FBI to get a warrant against an American citizen, a member of the other campaign. I am very sad that the CIA's information about Hillary Clinton signing off on a plan to link Trump to Russia wasn't looked at because if you had looked at it, that may have explained Christopher Steele in the dossier. Senator Lee. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. According to Bill Priestep's uh, handwritten notes from the January 24th, 2017 meeting, a meeting that you, Mr. McCabe, attended, the FBI's strategy with General Michael Flynn was to, quote, get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. And also, quote, if we can get him to admit to breaking the Logan Act, give the facts to the Department of Justice and have them decide, close quote. Mr. McCabe, is it typical 
for leadership at the FBI to strategize as to how to get subjects of an investigation to lie, as in this case, in an informal interview without counsel present? Well, I can't, uh, I'm not going to speak for Mr. Priestop's notes, but no, I can tell I'm you just asking that you whether it it's typical. I can tell you that it is common to discuss before an interview the many different ways that that interview might turn out. And one of those ways is that the subject or the witness you are interviewing might be deliberately deceptive. And so it is common to think through how you would handle that. Okay. Now, in his 302 interview, uh, Peter Strzok stated, quote, before the interview, McCabe, the FBI general counsel, uh, and others decided agents would not warn Flynn that it was a crime to lie during an FBI interview because they wanted Flynn to be relaxed. And they were concerned that giving warnings might adversely affect the rapport. Close quote. Is it normal for FBI leadership to instruct agents to not inform interviewees of their rights in investigational interviews? There is no requirement to tell any witness or interviewee that it is a crime to lie to the FBI. Um, it is very common for uh, agents and their supervisors to discuss how they're going to handle these different elements of an interview before they go in and do it. But I assume you don't do that all the time. And one of the reasons you don't do that all the time is because you rely on informal interviews. You get a lot of information out of them. And if you're constantly warning them in advance uh, and, and making them feel like they're targets, that's a problem. But it also can become a problem, and it invariably does. When people in an informal interview are lured into an informal interview with one set of expectations that you've created for them and you routinely dash them. Now, when scheduling the January 24th meeting with General Flynn, you threatened to elevate the issue of Flynn's call with Kislyak uh, to the Department of Justice if he appeared at the interview with counsel. Statements made by General Flynn during this very same interview where you advised him to appear also were used as the basis for his prosecution. So was it, is it standard practice uh, for the FBI to threaten high-level administration officials if they refuse to appear for interviews without counsel or, or at least uh, without somebody from the White House Counsel's Office? Well, the premise of your question is, is absolutely false. I did not threaten General Flynn with anything. General Flynn and I, during a very short conversation, um, I asked General Flynn if he wanted to have representative from the White House Counsel's Office or his own attorney attend the interview. And I simply told him that if that were the case, that I would need the agents to also bring an attorney from the Department of Justice. General Flynn very quickly replied that he didn't want to bring an attorney to the interview, which is certainly his right. And we proceeded in that way. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at, at your notes regarding your conversation with General Flynn. Quote, I explained to Lieutenant General Flynn that my desire was to have two of my agents interview him as quickly, quietly, and discreetly as possible. He agreed and offered to meet with the agents today. We had some discussion about timing and ultimately agreed to conduct the interview at his office in the White House at 1430 this afternoon. I explained that I thought the quickest way to get this done was to have a conversation between him and the agents only. I further stated that if General Flynn wished to include anyone else in the meeting, like the White House counsel, for instance, that I would need to involve the Department of Justice. He stated that this would not be necessary and agreed with the agents without any additional participants. 
that to me at least carries a certain suggestion. Now, uh, based on 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 Sally Yates's uh, 302, uh, Director Comey admitted that he would have informed the Obama White House uh, chief of staff, uh, uh, Dennis McDonough, if this were occurring under analogous circumstances with President Obama and President Obama's national security advisor. So why this disparate treatment? Why would you have one standard where you would inform the chief of staff in one instance, but not in another administration? Well, sir, I can't speak for why Jim Comey, uh, what Jim Comey thought about that at the time. I'm, I'm not aware of that. Okay. <clears throat> Mr. McCabe, we've hauled in a few different people to talk about the crossfire hurricane investigation in front of this committee. So far, we haven't been able to get a single straight answer uh, uh, to some critical questions, including who in leadership of the FBI or at the Department of Justice knew about the serious flaws contained in the Carter Page FISA warrants before the original application was submitted on October 21st, 2016. Uh, also, who knew by the time that the first renewal was submitted on January 12th, 2017? Or how about the second renewal on April 7th, 2017, and most importantly for today's purposes, who knew when you signed the third renewal on June 28th, 2017? Nobody seems to be telling us anything. Now, back in August, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates told this committee that she had no idea where critical factual errors in the initial Carter Page application. She did, had no idea that those were there. A few weeks ago, Director Comey told this committee that he didn't know about the errors when he signed the initial applications and the subsequent renewals. And now you've told this committee, uh, 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 what? what? What is your answer to these questions? Uh, tell me what you were aware of as of those dates. Well, I've been pretty clear that uh, I was not aware of the errors that are identified in the IG's report or any other errors that were present in the package that I signed in uh, June of 2017. Mr. Chairman, my time's expiring. I, could I get a, an additional two minutes? I think I can wrap this up in that time. Thank you. <clears throat> now, you've stated in your written testimony that, quote, FISA remains one of the most important tools in our country's efforts to protect national security. The FBI is the custodian of that tool. I fully support every effort to ensure that the FBI's use of FISA maintains the high standards of the court and the American people that they demand and they reserve. They, they deserve. Well, that's all well and good. I, I, I like the statement as far as it goes, but I would note, Mr. McCabe, that I've heard this line before, not just once. I've heard it more times than I can possibly count over the last 10 years while I've been sitting on this committee. In fact, your comments are nearly identical to those that I've heard from FBI official after FBI official, uh, from basically every FBI official who's testified in front of this committee on this issue. Trust us. We're the good guys. And we need these secret surveillance authorities in order to keep you safe. And furthermore, you don't need to worry about them. These C4 aren't the droids you're looking for. Because we're the good guys and we require a high level of approval. Well, it turns out, Mr. Cabe, McCabe, none of the people involved in the high level of approval, those same people who have told me over and over again over the last decade that they were reviewing them and that that's why it was okay. None of them can answer these questions. So that's why we're here again. So I'm asking you now, how are we supposed to tell the American people to have confidence in the secretive FISA surveillance process if, mind you, this is hard to believe, no one in FBI leadership, no one in leadership of DOJ or FBI 
wants to admit that they were aware of serious flaws in a very high-profile investigation. And what assurances could you possibly give us that the FISA applications targeting everyday Americans, just U.S. citizens, not foreign suspected terrorists, and not even high-profile government officials in the United States, are subject to any stricter scrutiny? They, they simply can't be. The fact is, the FISA process must be reformed. We can't ask Americans to continue to give the federal government this enormous amount of unsupervised scrutiny and discretion, only to have it abused by this, and only to have the people who are accountable for it say they have no idea how these things happen. I can assure you that your abuse of the FISA process has cost you the trust of the American people. That in and of itself is tragic, and I don't use those words lightly. What's even more tragic is that they've cost a great agency, one that I worked with as a, as a federal prosecutor and for which I've had great respect, and where there are still countless, hardworking, honest men and women who earn the FBI's good name every day. Their reputation has been sullied, and the Bureau's ability to do its job has been seriously impaired by these missteps. That's why this structure must change, and I won't rest until it does. Mr. McKay, would you like to respond? Sure. So. Um I certainly can't respond to things that other people have said to uh, Senator Lee over the last 10 years. Uh, I do agree with you that this process, the IG's oversight, the report that they delivered has uncovered that there are problems with the way, potentially with the way that the FBI is handling its FISA responsibilities. I think I'm fairly confident in saying that this experience has exposed to me at least, that we have been overconfident in the process that we've been using for years. We've been overconfident in that pro in the oversight that we've been subjecting each FISA package to. And I think that we need to go back and very, um, you know, thoroughly look at how do we change that process to ensure that the errors and the omissions in these packages that we now know about don't happen again. I agree with you in that respect, Senator. It won't change. We have to change it. It's the law that's the problem. It gives an unfair amount of discretion to human beings who have proven time and again they can't be trusted with it. Thank you. Senator Whitehouse. Thank you, Chairman. Um, first of all, let me just say that um, <clears throat> given the errors and omissions that everybody concedes and knows were in the FISA warrant, um, no official would say now that they'd sign that warrant knowing that it had errors and omissions. So that's an obvious question. What I want to make sure of is that it doesn't lead to the wrong implication that because officials wouldn't sign a warrant that they knew to have errors and omissions in it, that had they found out that there are errors and omissions in it, they would have ended the investigation. That is not a logical leap. That is not a correct assertion or a correct implication. What you do is you go back and you clear out the errors and omissions. You take whatever personal action is necessary against the people responsible for those errors and omissions, and then you proceed with your case with a correct warrant. So let's just make sure that that is clear. I think we agree on that, but I want to clarify that. I also got to say, I've got no objection to us pursuing endlessly the question of this uh, crossfire hurricane investigation, but it does irk me that we do this at the expense of other things we could be looking at and should be looking at. If you haven't read Judge Gleason's brief for a federal judge in the Flynn case, 
It's one of the most astonishing pieces. First of all, it's just an amazingly good piece of legal writing. So if you're a law student out there or uh, a young lawyer, go read it just to watch the skill of a terrific advocate at work. But the allegations and concerns that a retired federal judge on behalf of a sitting federal judge has made about the Department of Justice are unprecedented. And what attention have we given that? None. There is very likely mischief behind the antitrust letter that was sent out to auto companies who had the nerve to try to interfere with the fossil fuel industry's scheme to undo vehicle emission standards. There's no support for that. It's since been withdrawn. The hearing continues to be postponed, and I still have got zero, zero evidence or information in relation to my requests about that. We have what appears to have been a tanked FBI investigation in the Kavanaugh hearings, and I've asked questions about that, to which I've had no answer whatsoever. We've had multiple resignations and protests by career DOJ officials under Attorney General Barr, and we can't get any answers to what's going on behind those resignations in protest. And now two federal courts have written official opinions, decisions, excoriating the work of the Office of Legal Counsel, and nothing on that. So we're highly selective in what we choose to look into, and we've been extremely solicitous of the stonewalling and non-responsiveness of this Department of Justice. Well, guys, we're about to go into a Biden Department of Justice. And if the standard you want to set is that the <laughs> Department of Justice doesn't have to answer any letters, doesn't have to answer any QFRs, only does things for the majority party, congratulations, because you've done a really good job of setting that precedent in this committee. You have allowed an effective policy at the Department of Justice and the FBI of non-responsiveness. And I'll tell you how bad it is. The chairman actually brought the deputy attorney general into a meeting with me, thank you for that courtesy, at my request, because we were getting no answers to QFRs, no answers to letters, just a complete blow off. If I recall correctly, that meeting was in June. You know how many answers I've gotten since June? After that meeting with the Deputy Attorney General zero. about questions? Zero. None. Yes. Zero. Yes. So you all have set one heck of a precedent. How's that? If you think you're going to come back with questions about the Biden Department of Justice, you have set a precedent that the Department of Justice and the FBI don't have to answer our questions. And that if you're in the majority, that's cool. You're just going to let that ride. So I have to take this opportunity to ask some back questions. Yeah, to am a I under investigation? That's what you should ask. Because we don't have that. So let me ask Mr. McCabe, are there, the FBI does pretty much everything by policy and procedure in my recollection as a U.S. attorney working with FBI agents. Were there FBI policies and procedures related to how a tip line operates? Uh-oh, they're yes, bringing sir. in the yeah, tip there lines. Are policies about that. And where would I go to find those policies and procedures? I was able to find one statement on the internet. Are you aware of other places that we should go to look more specifically since we haven't been able to get straight answers? I don't know if I can give you uh, 
the perfect to look. But the tip line, the way the FBI handles tip lines has changed a lot in the last five or so years. So they're all managed centrally out of our facility in West Virginia uh, that kind of handles all the incoming calls and then um, sends leads or information, you know, directs it to the field offices that would be responsible for following up on those things. So it's who, who has it's authority to, who has authority to set one up? Who makes the call? We do. An agent sorry, says, sorry. I want a tip line on this case. Where, do, how does it, where, where does that decision travel through the FBI? You don't get a tip line in every case. You get tip lines in some cases. Why? How does that work? Typically, uh, the Office of Public Affairs would be involved in that in that suggestion and that kind of, hey, this if what are they trying to challenge how a tip line was set up and if they maybe got some evidence of wrongdoing without being through the channels of the tip line pay attention it's a particular case that um we think requesting the public's active involvement will help so the agent um, would ask his agent in charge and the agent in charge would clear it with the public affairs office and then the process for a tip line kicks in that's that's the best of my recollections okay and then once the tip line is up and running and information starts to come in what does it look like when you're going through those tips obviously a lot of them are going to be just nutty people calling in some of them are going to have very significant evidence potentially in them and you're going to have to go and dig into that who oversees that to make sure that that is legitimate and that evidence is actually being dug out of a tip line um, call? So those calls. Did he just call American citizens with tips nutcases? <laughs> nice to know how you feel about your constituents. Once the line is set up, those calls would go into our Criminal Justice Information Services Division in West Virginia, and the telephone uh, the operators, the specials who answer those calls, have West Virginia a process for how they memorialize the information that comes off that tip and who it gets sent to and um, whether it should be brought to someone's attention immediately if it's something that involves possibly a threat to life. Um, so there are there are kind of detailed uh, policies around that. I, I'm not really in a position to be able to tell you great detail about them off the top of my head. Okay, I'm over my time. So let me ask a last very short question. And that is, if an FBI tip line were set up and information were collected through that FBI tip line and then nobody looked at what had been brought in it was just all dumped in a file and there was no further investigative work at all would that be consistent with fbi policy or procedure from the way you've described the situation sir i'd have to say no i'm not aware of a specific situation that fits that model but Presumably, the information that comes in off the tip line gets put into our guardian system, and that's how all of our incoming tip information is um, managed and assigned and investigated at its most kind of initial level. So, no, information that comes into the FBI should never just be put aside and not followed up. Thank you, Chairman, for the extra time. Yeah, absolutely. And as to the antitrust issue you've been talking about, uh, the committee deserves to have a hearing on that. We had the uh, Barrett nomination, so I'm going to get with Senator Lee and make sure that we can, in a reasonable fashion, 
get answers to the questions you've raised. I think we owe yeah. that to not only you, but the committee itself. Hearings can be pretty meaningless if we haven't been given any documents, yeah, no, if we've been I, blown off by the we FBI. We've got some DOJ time again. left, and we will look into that. As to Justice Kavanaugh, I think you got a, from my point of view, pretty good scrutiny. Um, so, Senator uh, Tillis. Nope. Who we got? Presley. I overlooked <laughs> the soon-to-be chairman. <clears throat> During the course of Crossfire Hurricane, the Obama administration used FISA process as a weapon against candidate Trump and then later President Trump. Doing so undermined his presidency from the start. We voted in the Senate on legislation that would repair many of the shortcomings in the current FISA court system, striking a balance of increasing accountability, transparency, and ensuring fairness while protecting our national security interest, Congress must ensure that the FISA process isn't abused for partisan political gain like it was during the Obama administration. So now, Mr. McCabe, to my first question, <clears throat> the Inspector General found 17 errors and omissions in the Carter Page FISA application. There were also over 50 errors and omissions in the Woods file for the Page FISA application. In light of these overwhelming mistakes, the obvious lack of evidence, and the failure to fully apprise the FISA court of relevant exculpatory facts, the investigation simply didn't have foundation to proceed. Uh, if you were diligent doing the job, how did you miss all of these critical mistakes and failures that have tarnished the FBI for probably years to come? Well, I don't agree with your characterization of the investigation being illegitimate or, or flawed. There are clearly the flaws that you have referenced, the ones pointed out by the IG, uh, should not have taken place in the FISA application, which was only one part of an overall investigation into Mr. Page and three other individuals. An investigation that I would point out the IG indicated was for an authorized purpose, properly predicated. According to the Inspector General, the Steele dossier was central and essential to the Carter Page FISAs. However, according to your testimony before the House Intelligence Committee, the dossier wasn't fully vetted and corroborated before it was used in the FISA application. Why didn't you ensure that the FBI performed its due diligence before the dossier was used to justify invasive surveillance on an American citizen? The FBI is not required by the court to only present information that has been absolutely verified and proven true. We often use information that we have not yet gotten to the bottom of. We are required to provide information about the source of that information so that the court is adequately aware of you know, what we know about what we've told them and, and how we think about its verification. In this case, we were in the middle of a very long uh, and extensive effort trying to prove the many allegations in the Steele reporting. On January 4th, 2017, the FBI prepared a memo to close the Flynn case and noted no derogatory information was identified. That same day, Mr. Strzok interceded to keep it open. 
Did you order Struck or anyone else to keep it open? If not, who did? I don't recall ordering Peter to keep uh, or Mr. Struck to keep uh, that investigation open. Um, I think that obviously that's what happened, but I, I don't I don't know who gave that order. Okay. Did anyone ever instruct you to keep the Flynn case open? If so, who? No one ever instructed me to keep the Flynn case open. Um, we had conversations about the Flynn case towards the end of 2016 and whether or not we should keep it open. There was some thought that we had not developed much information about it during the course of the information and that it might be appropriate to close the case. However, those thoughts changed as soon as we became aware that we had um, evidence of General Flynn's conversations with the Russians. So our initial concern that General Flynn might be the point of contact between the Trump camp. But they unmasked him in November, a month before the phone call, right? A month before. Campaign in the Russians was elevated when we found evidence that he was in fact in touch with the Russians. During your time at the FBI, how many Logan Act investigations were you a part of? I do not recall ever having been a part of a Logan Act investigation. Based on the evidence I've seen, much of which has been made public, the FBI was out to get Flynn and they broke every rule in the books to interview him and try to entrap him. Uh, what the Obama administration and FBI did to Flynn under your watch is a textbook example of the power of the federal government can be abusive uh, and, uh, and hurt the American people. Now going to leaks, uh, the subject leaks, L-E-K-S. I've made this point before, but it's frustrating when the FBI refuses to answer this committee's questions in full, but leaks relevant information to the media. I asked then Director Comey in May 2017 whether he ever served as an anonymous source in news reports about matters released relating to the Trump investigation or Clinton investigation. His response, quote unquote, never. So next question to you, Deputy Director McCabe, was that a true and accurate answer based on your experience working for him? Well, first, Senator, to be clear, I strongly disagree with your characterization of our investigation of General Flynn. Uh, but with respect to your question about Mr. Comey's testimony to you about being the source of anonymous leaks, I, I don't have any um, I, I don't have any information about that. I, that's in that I, I don't know. In, in that same May twenty seventh. 2017 hearing, I asked then Director Comey whether he authorized someone else at the FBI to be an anonymous source in news reports about the Trump investigation or Clinton investigation. His answer was no. So, Mr. McCabe, was that a true and accurate answer based on your experience of working for him? I am not aware of uh, Director Comey authorizing or directing people to be anonymous sources for the media. Uh, the Justice Department's Inspector General report on your disclosing of information to the media, lack of candor or lying under oath contained references to a Clinton Foundation investigation. 
Specifically, that report said that you had a conversation with a Justice Department official about the Clinton investigation. And in that conversation, you reportedly stated, quote, are you telling me that I need to shut down a valid predicated investigation? End of quote. Why did you believe the Clinton Foundation investigation was validly predicated? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question uh, because it's first beyond the scope of what we were told to I'd be questioned about today. And also it would call for me to reveal information that I'm not sure the FBI, I haven't been authorized by the FBI to discuss. But I would point out, Senator, that the director and the deputy director of the FBI are the only two FBI officials who have the authority and the responsibility to authorize the release of information to the media. And so uh, I think that's your questions are overlooking that uh, important distinction. So that's that's it. Thank you. Uh, uh, Senator Clover, we'll go to you in a second. I just want to, based on what you said, um, you say that you present information to court sometimes it's not fully proven. Is that right when it comes to a warrant? That's correct. We often present information right. in warrants that we have not yet right. finished verifying. Do you have an obligation when you find information exculpatory to provide it to the court? In the FISA process, um, agents are obligated to present information that might cut uh, might uh, cut against the, you know, the the veracity of a source or, you know, you're obligated to present information that puts the court in a position to accurately assess whether they believe, you know, the source right. information you've presented. So that's why if you alter an email from the CIA saying that Mr. Page actually was a source, um, that's misleading to the court. And that's why Mr. Kleinsmith is being prosecuted. Is that correct? That is my understanding. And finally, we'll go to um, when you have information in the possession of the FBI in January and March, where the subsource basically disavows the legitimacy of the dossier, a lot of it's bar talk and hearsay. Can you tell us how that never made it to you by June of 2017? How could that information have been gathered in January and March of 2017 and not known to the system as late as June 2017? Do you know? Did you talk to Mr. Alton about this at all? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't, um, I'm not sure who that was you just referred to, but um, so, I can't uh, say. No, excuse me. The June, March interview of the subsource by the FBI was conducted by Mr. Alton and a few other agents. And that's when the subsource told us basically that a lot of it was bar talk, hearsay, um, gutted the reliability of it. My question is, you've said if you'd known then what you know now, you wouldn't sign the warrant application. Do you have an explanation as to why that information never made it to you and others? Uh, no, sir. But I think that the team, there is no question that the, the Crossfire team should have had a much more thorough conversation with the Department of Justice attorneys who were responsible for preparing that package. They should have had full visibility on those facts and made an informed decision as to whether or not they should have been included in the package. And your, your testimony is that no one told you about these interviews, the substance of them. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Thank you. Uh, Senator Klobuchar. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, welcome back, Mr. McCabe. Good to see you. Um, uh, this hearing was set up before this election. I know that. 
but since uh, we got the notice on this hearing, uh, we now know that we have a new president, uh, President-elect Biden, and a new vice president that we will see um, in Washington, and that is uh, Vice President-elect Harris. And I just want to make it clear to anyone watching this right now, out there in the virtual land, uh, that uh, this is all about what happened before the 2016 election. Is that correct, Mr. McCabe? And, and around that time period. That's so, correct. Okay. And in the 2016 election, uh, Donald Trump won and Hillary Clinton lost. Is that correct? That's my understanding. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's the correct answer, right? So now that's we move forward to this election in 2020. Um, and uh, we have a situation where our uh, very democracy has spoken. We've had uh, the greatest number of people that voted ever in a presidential election. Are you, are you aware of that, Mr. McCabe? Yes, ma'am, I'm okay. And do you think there were some improvements made on how we handled foreign interference in the election? I, I think it, it seems, of course, I'm not privy to all the information about what what folks know and, and what steps they took. But it does seem to me that um, the efforts to bring greater security to our elections at the state level uh, was was time and effort well spent. Yes, and I personally uh, think there's a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, Senator Graham and I have the Honest Ads Act, uh, which I think would be really helpful uh, for ads uh, that are political ads that are taken out to make sure. I think you're aware of that bill. Um, and I think there's a lot more that can be done, but I think it's really important to know uh, that the subject that we're talking about predates the 2016 election. And I want to talk about what's happening right now with the Justice Department and our election. And I really do it in light of what Vice President Biden said on Saturday night to the nation. Uh, he asked that the grim era of demonization be behind us. I'm sure that might have resonated with you a bit, Mr. McCabe. Um, and that we, um, understanding that that uh, some people uh, didn't agree with him and voted for Donald Trump, but he literally reached out um, to uh, people who voted for Donald Trump. And he said, look, uh, I've been disappointed before. I've lost elections but I'm asking you to give me a chance and I'll give you a chance. And so that is the approach that I take here. Um, and I know that it's hard to lose elections, but I think that um, we need to move on as a country, the pandemic, everything that we have before us, and really the integrity of our justice system. And I was actually um, very disheartened uh, yesterday when Attorney General Barr uh, told, uh, sent out a memo to the U.S. attorneys uh, throughout uh, the country asking them to examine voting irregularities even before the states had certified their results. And I had actually done a letter back on October 23rd um, when he started questioning mail-in ballots early on and asked them to look at this because um, the federal prosecution of elections, the Justice Department's policy says, quote, over criminal investigative measures uh, should not be taken, quote, until the election in question has been concluded, its results certified, and all recounts and election contests concluded. So what happened yesterday is they decided to upend that policy and start getting on this train that there was something wrong with this election, when in fact the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia has stood by their election and says there isn't systematic fraud. Uh, the Republicans in Arizona, the governor there, this is a state uh, where Joe Biden um, uh, basically has won. 
uh, with a few more votes to be counted. You look at what happened in Pennsylvania. So my concern is they're upending this longstanding policy uh, right when the election resulting in a career prosecutor, Mr. Pilger, I don't know if you know him, resigned yesterday um, because he saw this um, clearly, this is a reason for his resignation um, as political interference in the work of the Justice Department. So uh, you spent decades in public service, Mr. McCabe, and I want to ask you, what does it mean to you to see a career Justice Department employee uh, resign like that? Well, I think it's uh, incredibly concerning. Um, as undoubtedly, Senator, you know from your own experience that people uh, in the Department of Justice are typically committed to um, long and, um, you know, noble service, uh, not just, it's not just a job, it's a, it's a calling, it's what you choose to do with your life. So uh, when people start resigning in protest over decisions that leadership makes, I think we should all take a very, very close look at that. Um, I, in terms of uh, election fraud generally, well, anytime you change a a uh, well-known established policy regarding the political process in the middle of the political process. I think it raises some very legitimate concerns about what the motivation uh, for that change was. And I think in the least case, it shines a very dim light on the department and um, its impartiality. And with a new president coming in, uh, what steps do you think we should be taking to restore um, public confidence in the department and improve morale in the department? You know, I think from my own experience, I look back on my own experience and some of the decisions we made uh, in the FBI, and of course, many of the things that have happened since. And, you know, I think a return to the time-honored principles uh, in the department and in the Bureau of um, of being very careful about how what we do and how we do it around uh, the political process is, uh, I, I think that's something that most people in the department and the Bureau would, um, would really embrace. All right, well, thank you, Mr. McCabe. Thank you very much. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. McCabe, welcome. Uh, I'd like to start by discussing uh, the Flynn investigation. As you know, the FBI team investigating General Flynn prepared a memo dated January 4th, 2017, to close the investigation into Flynn as lacking any, any basis to continue. Uh, the FBI had investigated and failed to find any derogatory information about General Flynn and determined he was no longer a viable candidate for investigation. But then, according to Peter Strzok, the seventh floor, the top brass at the FBI intervened to keep the investigation open. Were you the one who made the decision to keep the investigation open? I don't remember making that decision, but I certainly supported keeping the case open. I don't remember being the person that made that phone call, but I think that it was uh, the right move to continue investigating once we had uh, uncovered the, the information that we found. So despite the fact that the career investigators concluded that there was no basis and no derogatory information and recommended closing it, you made the decision, or, and you, or at least you agreed with the decision to keep the investigation open. On, on, on what basis? Well, I don't know that 
I, I don't recall that the investigators determined there was no basis to continue. My recollection from the conversations we were having about the, the Flint case. The memo is time, a memo to close the investigation because it, it could not find any, quote, derogatory information about Flynn. And he was, quote, no longer a viable candidate for investigation. That's not ambiguous, is it? No, that's not the same as what you said before. And I, of course, don't have that memo in front of me. But our feeling at that time was that we had found very little uh, if any, incriminating evidence about General Flynn until, of course, we found potentially very incriminating evidence about him. Are you referring to the, the Logan Act theory? No, sir. I'm referring to the fact that we uncovered that General Flynn was having the sort of direct contact with the government of Russia that we were looking for in all of the first four or cases of crossfire hurricane. Did you, you did you support using the Logan Act as a basis to go after General Flynn? The Logan Act was not used as a basis to go after General Flynn. Um, we opened the case. You're aware of the White Flynn. House meeting where where the notes show that Vice President Biden at the time directly suggested using the Logan Act to go after General Flynn. I, I'm not aware of that. You're not aware of that. Well, th 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 those are notes from your colleagues. I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I Senator, do. I, I, Senator I, I can say what uh, the reasons that I agreed with and approved opening the case. And that was because we thought that General Flynn might be having inappropriate contacts with Russia. That's why we opened the case. It, 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 inappropriate. So, so the only basis, this is a decorated three-star general. The, the, the only basis that was put forward for what I think was a bogus political persecution and prosecution was an alleged violation of the Logan Act, which has never been used to prosecute anybody in the history of the Department of Justice. True? No, I don't believe that's true. I think if name, you name one person it, that's ever been prosecuted under the Logan Act. No, I was referring to why we opened the case against General Flynn. Uh, I'm not aware of prosecutions of the Logan Act. I may. I think for those who are listening, we're talking about a conversation between General Flynn and the Russian ambassador after the election while he's the national security advisor and waiting is that correct, Senator Cruz? We are. He's the incoming national security advisor. And, and Mr. McCabe, yesterday on MSNBC, Ben Rhodes, the former deputy national security advisor to President Obama, said that foreign leaders are already having conversations with Joe Biden, quote, talking about the agenda they're going to pursue January 20th. Mr. McCabe, based on that testimony, do you believe Joe Biden is violating the Logan Act? I'm not aware of Ben Rhodes' statements or... or, or Take it on faith, the, he said what I re read. Assuming he's, that quote is accurate, it's a verbatim quote, is that a violation of the Logan Act under any plausible theory? I am not prepared to take your statement on faith. And I am also not prepared to conduct legal analysis. All right, you're a lawyer. Logan. Have you ever answered a hypothetical in court? If I'm it is correct that I am accurately quoting it, something the Department of Justice frequently did wrong in, in, in this investigation, if that is what Ben Rhodes said, if Joe Biden is talking with foreign leaders right now, does it violate the Logan Act? Yes or no? I'm not going to opine on a hypothetical question about what the Biden okay. campaign he is talking with foreign leaders and it doesn't violate the Logan Act because the Logan Act is unconstitutional, which is why it's never been used to prosecute anyone. You authorized using it to go after General Flynn as part of a political persecution. I can give you the answer. Hell no, Joe Biden is not violating the Logan Act. The reason you won't say it 
is because that was your flimsy political basis to go after a decorated war hero because you disagreed with politically with President Trump. Sir, none of that is correct. Which part? Pick, pick any aspect. We didn't investigate General Flynn because we were concerned that he might violate the Logan Act. We were concerned it that General your testimony, Flynn, the Logan Act was not a predicate for the FBI and, and, and DOJ investigation of General Flynn, really? There were no discussions of the Logan Act. The best there of my were recollection, no discussions of the Logan spoke. Act at the FBI or DOJ. That is your testimony under penalty of perjury before this committee. Senator, and I warn you, there is not, abundant evidence that there were. Senator, if you're not going to let me finish my answer, I'm not going to be able to accurately answer your question. Please go ahead. What is your testimony? Is your testimony, you just said there was no discussion of the Logan Act. Is that, does that remain your testimony? No, Senator, that's where you cut off my testimony. Please continue. I would, I would like to finish Please my answer. Please continue. Now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when we initiated the case against General Flynn, it was not initiated for or as a result of any discussion of Mr. the McCabe, Logan Act. you're being non-responsive to the question. I didn't ask about the initiation. The Logan Act was a late, uh, a, a late pretext that was adopted after you investigated him and couldn't find anything, and the career investigators recommended closing it. All right, since my time is expiring, although the chairman took a little bit of my time, so I'm going uh, to take a little bit of it back. Um, did James Comey authorize you to disclose information about the Clinton Foundation investigation to the press? I didn't need James Comey's authorization. I, I didn't ask I if you needed it. Authority. I asked, did he authorize you to disclose it? That's a yes or no question. I authorized the disclosure of okay, that You're material. still not answering my, my question. Did James Comey know about it and did he authorize it? Yes or no? Did he know about it? To my recollection, sir, yes. Did he authorize you? Did, he, did you? did he in any way give you the green light explicitly or implicitly? I didn't ask Jim Comey. For I'm not asking whether you asked. I'm asking, okay, according to the Washington Times, April 18th, 2018, Mr. McCabe insisted he told his boss that, that he had authorized disclosure about the Clinton investigation, but Mr. Comey has denied this claim. Uh, and Mr. McCabe told investigators that M Mr. Comey knew he had authorized disclosure and agreed it was a good idea. Is that accurate? Is that your testimony to this committee? That is my recollection. So you're aware that your testimony is 180 degrees opposite Mr. Comey's sworn testimony to this committee in which he insisted he has never authorized anybody to leak to the press. I, I don't, I'm not going to say what Director Comey said or didn't say to you. That would, however, your characterization of a leak is not accurate. The FBI has yeah. records that will establish whether you're telling the truth or Mr. Comey's telling the truth. Do you believe the FBI should make those records public? So if you're telling the truth, you can be vindicated. And if Mr. Comey's telling the truth, he can be vindicated. I'm not sure what records you're referring to, uh, Senator. Any and all correspondence records whatsoever indicating that Mr. Comey why the fuck you lying? I would very much like to see those records as well. As would I. Thank you. Senator Blumenthal, but I just want the American people understand that um, was it wrong for General Flynn to talk to the Russian ambassador since he was going to be the new incoming national security advisor? 
Is that a question to me? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, our concerns about General Flynn's contact with Ambassador Kislyak was that the general might be maintaining some sort of um, hidden or deniable contact and that he might have been the person in the campaign who coordinated efforts with the Russian government. The fact that General Flynn lied about his contacts with the Russians made it doubly concerning to us. The what? fact that General Flynn what? then lied to his boss, the vice president, about those contacts also was greatly concerning to us. Well, let me just say this. General Flynn told the FBI agents, you have the transcripts, you know what I said. The FBI agents came back and said they didn't think he lied. But the problem we have here is this is after the election is over that the National Security Advisor has every right in the world to be talking to foreign governments, foreign ambassadors. It's going on as I speak. I'm sure the Biden administration, believing they have won, is beginning to reach out to foreign governments to talk about uh, their agenda, whether it be China or anybody else. This whole idea that you would surveil the incoming National Security Advisor after the election after the professionals in the field said there's no there there bothers a lot of us uh senator blumenthal thanks mr chairman uh mr mccabe let me give you an opportunity uh since you've been interrupted by my colleague in the midst of actually threats of perjury to clarify any of the answers or expand on them in any way that you would like if there's anything you have to add uh i'd welcome your remarks uh, if not i'll turn to my questions Thank you, Senator. I think it's important to keep in perspective that the FBI opens counterintelligence cases sometimes when they suspect that someone may have had inappropriate or improper or illegal contact with a foreign power. During the course of that investigation, if you confirm that that contact has taken place, and then you learn that that person is also actively concealing the contact, concealing it from, in General Flynn's case, the FBI, and also from the White House Chief of Staff, White House Counsel's Office, and the Vice President. Your fears about possible threat to national security are justifiably elevated. That is what happened in this case. Um, and so questions about uh, a Logan Act prosecution that never took place, uh, I think, are misplaced. Uh, that's a really important point, Ms. McCabe. I re regret that my colleague isn't here to hear it, but I'm sure he'll review the record. Uh, that we should note, I think, at the beginning that we are now in the midst of a fourth hearing to investigate both the 2016 election and the investigations and investigators who themselves have already been investigated. So we're spending all the time in the world to look back at 2016 as families and businesses in Connecticut, and I think in the states of every one of my colleagues, are hanging by a thread due to the public health and economic crises caused by COVID. Crisis has been ignored and disregarded by this administration, which is the reason that President Trump was defeated. It is a dereliction of their duty 
to their constituents was it and of a to the American people was it of guys out to continue to focus on what difference at this a 2016 point investigation that already has been investigated. And I think your point about the reasons for that interest in the conversations between potential Trump officials and the Russian ambassador are very well taken. Uh, I also want to say that I am deeply troubled, as my colleagues are, by the statements made by Attorney General Barr, who again is acting apparently as a puppet of the president rather than a lawyer for the American people. He is throwing gasoline on the fires of false claims of fraud, fueling doubts and undermining faith in the integrity of our election process. There are no facts or evidence that justify investigation. He knows it, but he is giving a patina of credibility to baseless and destructive accusations. I would suggest respectfully that Attorney General Barr has taken his office to a new law and the ramifications are profound and dangerous for our country. This kind of scaremongering is no substitute for the truth. Fact is, the votes have been counted and some are being counted. And they have shown and will continue to confirm that former Vice President Biden is in fact our president-elect. But in the meantime, the litigation challenging the integrity of our election process will continue frivolous and baseless though it is, and now apparently given more credibility by the Attorney General of the United States, regretfully and unfortunately. Uh, I want to ask you about a threat to our country that is real. Just a few months ago, the FBI director publicly testified to the House Committee on Homeland Security that, quote, racially motivated violent extremism, end quote, constitutes a majority <laughs> of domestic Race card, I don't have a gift for that. I'll do that. In fact, white supremacists in particular were responsible for 49 homicides in 26 attacks from 2000 to 2016. That's more than any other extremist movement. Recent attacks include the April 2014 mass shooting at a Jewish community center in Kansas, the June 2015 mass shooting at the Emanuel Amy Church in Charleston, and others. Uh, Ms. McCabe, uh, let me ask you, how long have we known that white supremacists and other far-right wing extremists pose significant domestic terrorism, national security, or public security and safety threats to the United States? We've known about the threats posed to this country by uh, domestic terrorists and specifically um, uh, white supremacists and, and right-wing groups for Long, many, many years, certainly long before I even joined the FBI. And one of the seminal moments in my desire to join the organization um, was when I, like the rest of the country, sat in horror um, on the day that the uh, Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building was 
destroyed in Oklahoma City. So this is not a new threat. I think what's new for the FBI right now is the focus and intensity they are bringing on this problem set, which is absolutely uh, called for and necessary. And when the president and, makes the kind of comments that he did, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, that a particular right-wing group should stand back and stand by, do those kinds of comments have an effect on those groups and encouraging them? They absolutely do. Uh, favorable uh, references and shout outs and comments to these fringe groups have the effect of confirming their beliefs. They interpret these comments as, as signals and signs of approval and support um, and really can uh, risk uh, putting more momentum um, and kind of fervor behind what they're planning to do. Thank you, Mr. McKay. My time has expired. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we're waiting Senator, Senator Graham? Yes, yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Would it be possible just to take a, a oh, absolutely. break? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, sir. Five minutes. Is that okay? That would be great. Thank you. Okay, we'll take a five-minute break. Thank you. Yeah, he needed a break. He was, he's, you know, his sphincter is like, got, it's like, Kegel exercises that women do, right? It's been like popping like crazy. So they've been put in a tight spot. Now, a lot of you could say, what difference does it make? It totally makes a difference because what we are getting right now from them is what we need going forward. Because remember, these people, we caught them all. We caught every single one of them. And so we have FISA warrants as well. And you know, they're going to dispute it and they're going to call it, uh, a retaliation, right? That it was done maliciously. So let them continue. Let them continue because that's exactly what we want them to do. Now, I want to go get some coffee and I think we should watch the guy with the really perfect teeth explaining how we indeed live in the land of confusion where up is down is down is up and corruption is okay. And one of the smartest people that run our nation and have been in charge of our safety keep forgetting. They can't recall shit. So um, pretty confusing times. I have to say it's pretty confusing times. So I'll see you guys in just a bit. <laughs> Moving into the streets. Now, did you read the news today? They say that they just come our way. But I can see the fire still alight. They're burning into the night. There's too many men, there's too many people making too many problems. But there's not much love to go around. Can't you see this is a land of confusion? Well, this is the world we live in. Oh, and these are the hands we give up. Oh, oh, oh. Use every next stop. 
Anytime you feel like you're remembering that. So, uh, uh, Senator Haran. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'd like to associate myself with the comments made by my colleague, Senator Durbin, and others on the Democratic side on why we are here for the fourth time to go over ground already covered, particularly by Inspector General Horowitz's 434-page Why you always lying? The witness was asked questions about text messages between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page when it is clear that they did not impact the validity of the Russia investigation. And yet, when we have real facts about national security concerns, such as President Trump calling the president of Ukraine to shake him down to help his re-election campaign, my Republican colleagues don't think that's a big deal. I can understand why. President Trump wanted to get dirt on his potential political opponent, especially as as uh, Joe Biden, in fact, defeated President Trump decisively, a fact that uh, many of my Republican colleagues have yet to be able to acknowledge. And so we are here for the first, fourth time for many more hours of hearings on grounds that we should have co- we've already covered instead of dealing with the real questions of the day. So. For this witness, you were asked by Senator Blumenthal about the recognized danger of white supremacists. And I, I just want to reiterate, because I think it is very important for the for our country to understand uh, the dangers posed by these persons. So in September 2020, FBI Director Ray warned that white supremacy is one of the biggest domestic terrorism threats. News reports around the same time also indicated that the Department of Homeland Security had reached a similar conclusion that white supremacists are the deadliest, the deadliest domestic terror threat facing the country. I'd like to ask ask you again, given your extensive experience in counterterrorism issues, do you believe that the threat posed by white supremacists is a serious concern? Well, Senator, I know that it is a serious concern, and I certainly take Director Ray's assessment that it is the most serious terrorism side that we face right now. It makes a lot of sense in light of the fact that um, as our foreign terrorist uh, uh, targets appear to be in a state of less organization and their operational activity and recruitment in this country seems to have tailed off a bit. I don't have any access to the classified information, but certainly seems that way. Uh, there's no question that the domestic terrorist scene has not tailed off. If anything, it has increased over the last few years. And you indicated that the kind of words used by the president simply uh, seems to fan those flames. Uh, 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 domestic terrorism activities. That's correct. I believe you 
That's correct. Responded that way. Yes. Before the election, President Trump and Attorney General Bill Barr repeatedly made false claims of mail-in voter fraud. In September 2020, FBI Director Bray testified before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee that, in quote, we have not seen historically any kind of coordinated national voter fraud effort in a major election, whether it's by mail or otherwise. Now that millions of Americans have voted without evidence of fraud, President Trump and the Republicans have refused to recognize the results of the election. And instead, they have gone to court many times at this point, losing pretty much every, I think, that they've lost every single one of these voter fraud cases to prevent valid, uh, validly cast votes from being counted. And uh, President Trump continues to falsely claim that he has won the election with absolutely no evidence. Given your extensive experience at the FBI, are you aware of any evidence indicating that widespread mail-in voter fraud is a problem in our country? I'm not aware of any information to that effect. Director Ray's assessment is, is consistent with my own experience in the FBI that I'd never seen um, uh, information uh, that would substantiate a, a, an effort, a widespread uh, effort at voter fraud. And while my Republican colleagues are very busy talking about how the president has a right to go to court, uh, that, you know, that, that uh, still puts a burden uh, proving that there is actual fraud on him. And so far he's been losing at every turn. So just because one has a right to go, go to court does not make it right to go to court. And one would hope that the president would have Why you always lying? Not. When, you know, when you mentioned in your opening that it was an honor and a privilege to uh, work for the FBI, uh, there, there are concerns for many of us about the politicizing of the FBI and DOJ. And since taking office, President Trump has repeatedly called on the Justice Department, i.e. at as many rallies where they chant, lock her up or lock him up or whatever it is, to investigate his political opponents and leaned on Attorney General Barr to treat his allies more favorably. For example, under Attorney General Barr, the Justice Department reversed the sentencing recommendation for Trump ally Roger Stone, prompting all four career prosecutors to withdraw from the case and protest. You have served for 21 years at the FBI. I'm sorry. What the what is going on here? These people are being paid. This hearing is about, you know, hurricane, crossfire hurricane. But we're talking racism, saltiness, because people want to lock them up. I mean, come on, man. Can somebody hold their pay? They're not doing their job. Hold their pay. They're talking about rallies and freaking racism. Has nothing to do with crossfire hurricane. In criminal and antitrust cases, to advance the personal interests of President Trump. What do you think it says about the severity of the politicizing of the Justice Department that two career DOJ lawyers came forward to testify about it before Congress and all four career prosecutors made the extraordinary move of withdrawing from the Roger Stone case? As I've said, Senator, um, career prosecutors don't walk away from cases that they believe in and cases that they've spent a lot of time and effort trying to move forward. So when you have any member of the Department of Justice who feels compelled to resign from a case or from the department, 
um, for for ethical reasons. Uh, that's a very concerning thing. When you have four on one case resign, I think it's the sort of... Okay, guys, so I'm going to tell you something before I continue playing his answer. I know exactly why they pulled out. I know exactly what happened. And I know exactly why Roger Stone decided not to pursue. But it's not the time to talk about it now. The thing that we can't possibly ignore. It's quite extraordinary. And, and I would like at this point to commend all of the career DOJ people, including, of course, all the people at the FBI for doing the jobs that they're supposed to be doing and not making political decisions. Now, we know that hate crimes against the API community has gone up. And especially with the president calling the virus, the China virus, the Wuhan virus, and members of his administration have also referred to it as Kung Flu. So there has been documented increase in hate crimes against API uh, communities. Given your extensive experience at the FBI, do you think the FBI and Justice Department are doing enough to address hate crimes in our country? including against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And do you know of any prosecution by the DOJ on any of these hate crimes? I'm not aware of recent prosecutions of hate crimes. Um, again, I don't have access to all of the information that the FBI or DOJ has. And so I can't speak to uh, whether they're doing that work or not. It certainly seems that those sort of incidents just from what I uh, hear in open source reporting, seem to be on the rise. And I would expect that the Bureau and, and DOJ should be looking at those things very closely. I should hope so, because so far I don't know of any indictments coming down on these kinds of cases. I believe my time is up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank uh, th you, Mr. McKay. Thank you very much, Senator. I think we have Senator Hawley on the line, but i got a, just a real brief inquiry here. Uh, uh, Mr. McKay, uh, what is the defensive briefing? A defensive briefing is typically when we um, reach out to an individual who we think might be um, the subject of some sort of, uh, you know, malign activity from a from a foreign government or a foreign power, and try to, um, you know, make them aware of the threats that they might come across. Uh, an example would be, I think Senator Feinstein had a staff member that was suspected of being connected to the Chinese intelligence community, and she was briefed about that. Is that correct? Would that be an example? That sounds like the sort of information in, or a sort of situation. Driving Miss Daisy. And she took corrective action by dismissing that person. Uh, was there ever a defensive briefing given to Hillary Clinton about concerns about her campaign being uh, reached out to or interfered regarding foreign actors? I'm not sure, Senator. I saw some of the documents on um, on the committee's website uh, seem to indicate that, but I don't have an independent recollection of, of that. Well, I can just assure you that she was. There was a, <clears throat> a suspicion that a foreign government may have been trying to aid her campaign. She was briefed about it. Um, counterintelligence investigations designed to protect entities from foreign influence. Is that correct? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Counterintelligence investigations are designed to protect American interests against foreign influence. Is that correct? That's right. Counterintelligence investigations are designed to mitigate threats to national security. So like Senator Feinstein could fire somebody 
that was on her staff to mitigate it. Is that a good example? That that could certainly be one way to mitigate. A at, at any time during the multiple counterintelligence investigations that were conducted against Trump campaign officials, was there ever a defensive briefing given to President Trump about the concerns you had? No. About uh, Mr. No. Papadopoulos, Carter Page, no. or anyone else, including no. General Flynn? No. Not that I'm aware of. Why? Well, Senator, we typically don't uh, provide defensive briefings when we feel that they could run the risk of compromising the investigations that we're undertaking. So before we. So in other words, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, their whole campaign, everybody and their mother that has worked with them, communicated with them, texted with them, emailed with them is also not getting a defensive briefing. Provide a briefing. We try to determine whether or not that briefing will ultimately get communicated back to the target or somehow obstruct our ability to shed some light on whether or not there is actually a threat to national security. So when it came to Papadopoulos, you never told the Trump campaign you may have a problem with him? That's correct. And when it comes to Carter Page, you never sat down with President Trump. We've got concerns about Carter Page. I do not believe that happened. Yeah. That's correct. Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Wait, I love his office. I actually spoke to his office. Okay, I just want to play something for you. Just a little treat. Can you guys listen to this? Carefully. Oh, hold on. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Right. They asked him, hey, are you going to help out with the Biden transition team? Here is what Pompeo said. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. There we go. I just wanted to give you guys that. That was pretty awesome. Now let's continue. Let's see a good, <laughs> a good tushy beating right now. I want to uh, start by saying that I heard, I think, my Democrat colleagues wondering aloud why it is that we're here today. And I have to say, I would have thought that would have been obvious by now, that we're here because we're looking at maybe the biggest scandal in the history of the FBI. We're looking at the use of the FBI to interfere in a presidential election. We're looking at the use of the FBI to lie to the FISA court, to so misrepresent facts statements and other material to this court that the court had to issue a statement saying that they could not trust the FBI, not only in this case, but in potentially every other case going forward. Absolutely unbelievable, unprecedented for a court to issue a rebuke of this nature. And I have to say the fact that my Democrat colleagues wanted to shrug and move on in the face of this kind of interference, this kind of of inappropriate behavior, this abuse of power, which is what it is, is really extraordinary. And of course, the individual we have before us today has an entire report written by the IG about how he lied repeatedly. And uh, it's so that's why we're here. And by the way, now that we're in the middle of another election, the outcome of which is still disputed and unknown, and people are wondering why is it that so many Americans don't have trust in the electoral process? This is why they don't have trust in the electoral process. This is why. Is because we've seen instance after instance of the abuse of the institutions of this country to try to interfere with the voice and the will of we the people. And we're looking at it today. 
That's what this is about. If anybody's in, in any has any question, that's what this is about. Now let's talk a little bit about that lying to the FISA court. I don't want the FBI did repeatedly and DOJ signed off on. Mr. McCabe, let me come to you now. You know, I've had a, something of a, of a personal quest here to try to find somebody who will take some responsibility for these warrants that they signed off on, for these applications that they personally signed off on. You signed off on a renewal application for the Carter Page FISA warrant on June 28, 2017. Isn't that correct? That's correct. Now, by January of 2017, the FBI had identified and interviewed Christopher Steele's primary subsource. Isn't that correct? That is correct. And those interviews cast serious doubts on the accuracy of the Steele dossier, to put it mildly. Isn't that correct? Uh, I know that now, yes. The FISA renewal application that you signed, however, did not acknowledge any of those facts. Isn't that correct? Uh, the FISA package that I signed uh, contained the same, uh, contained the, the uh, errors that are laid out in the IG report. Uh-huh. And by December of 2016, so this is months before the renewal application, the Crossfire Hurricane team knew that the primary subsource of the Steele dossier was suspected of being a Russian asset. Isn't that correct? I can't. I, I don't believe that's correct. No, I don't. I don't know that to be the case your so your testimony uh, testimony under oath is that the crossfire hurricane did not know that the primary subsource was potentially a russian agent as of december 2016. i can't tell you what the members of the team thought about uh about the primary subsource in december of uh 2016. if you're referring to the recent uh footnote from the FISA report that was uh declassified by the attorney general but no i don't i don't know that they knew that then i i can't say what they did the fisa application that you signed contained none of this though correct it, it contained no new disclosures to the court it contained none of the information that the fbi absolutely knew of it contained nothing to give the court any pause about anything that you previously certified isn't that correct well i think you need to be uh, we we should be specific about no, no, what. No, just answer my question. Did it did the application that you personally signed? Did it disclose the interviews back from January of 2017 that you just said that you were aware of that the FBI was aware of? The OIG report details this at pages 187, 188, and 189 of his report. You can go look it up. He's had a lot to say about you. You can go look up that IG report. They say that the FBI knew of the problems with the primary, this, this Christopher Steele's primary subsource and did not disclose it to the court. Isn't that correct? Yes or no? The, the IG report, as my understanding, sir, details 17 errors that were present in Mr. the package that you're referring to. Answer my question. Did the report that you personally signed, did it disclose the FBI's interviews in January of 2017 you signed the new application in June of 2017. Did it disclose the interviews casting serious doubt on the primary subsource? Yes or no? We both know the answer is no. So I was showing you guys an article that I put together in 2018. And I told you who's fired, who's getting fired, who's going to be fired with the caution, caution, caution. And I also showed you what it's going to reveal, didn't I? So it was there in 2018. And it's almost as if I knew what he was going to say 
Huh? You signed it in June of 2017. Hmm. But why don't you just say it? What? No, right? It did not disclose serious Thank concerns you. with the primary subsource. Why, why, why didn't it? Why didn't you notify the court of this new information? Is it because you wanted to continue to undermine the election of Donald Trump? Uh, let me ask you this. Didn't you send a text message on June 24, 2016, saying that I hope the Brexit vote doesn't predict a similar outcome here in November? Okay, so I'd like to answer that. I'd like to answer your question, sir, but I'm going to need a little bit of space to get in a complete answer. Why so, did you answer, answer that question? Why did you send that text message? I, I am, sir, as you know, I have not been able to review my, my text. I do not have my text in front of me here. I requested access to my materials. It was denied that access. So Why I'm not prepared to it? answer your questions based on my text messages. Oh, it's because you don't recall them or you deny Here's what it says. Quote, I remember hope what it, he lied about. Meaning the Brexit vote doesn't predict a similar outcome here in November. End quote. June 24, 2016. Do you deny sending that message? I don't know, sir. I haven't seen any of those you text no messages in over four years. And I'd like to be able to continue to, I'd like to give you a complete answer, but I'm having a hard time. When you speak over me, it cuts off my ability to I, respond. I want, well, why don't you answer my question? Do you have no memory of that text message? Is that what you're saying of June 26, 24, 2016? Sir, I don't remember text messages I sent in 2016 that I haven't seen since then. So, yes, I don't have a recollection of text messages from four years ago. That's correct. Yeah. We Very need to convenient. clone Josh. I noticed that everybody who comes... It would be much less convenient. Oh, it would have been really convenient to be able to review those materials before today. Including you, Mr. McCabe. It's really extraordinary. Really extraordinary. Let me ask you about this text message. Peter Strzok sent this to Lisa Page on August 15, 2016. I want to believe the path that you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, that's you, that there's no way he gets elected, that's Trump. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. I'd like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. Why were you talking about the likely outcome of the election with two line agents who were working on a case, the Carter Page investigation at that time involving the president? Don't you think it's inappropriate? I think your question is, the premise of your question is not accurate. I don't recollect ever talking to Peter Strzok or Lisa Page, only one of whom is an agent in the FBI, about the election or about that conversation that is referenced in their text message, which I was not a part of. Oh, okay. So you're saying that that didn't happen? You deny that that happened? I don't recall that ever happening. Um, just before we leave the, the, the FISA warrant application that, that you signed, the renewal application, um, how is it that the court was so deliberately and disastrously misled such that it had to issue a public review to the FBI? Do you take responsibility? I disagree with your characterization that the court was deliberately misled. Oh, really? um, so, I yeah, that's that's correct. Do you think it was just an accident? I think that there were numerous and objectionable errors and omissions in that package. But Do you I think don't. That the falsification of an email. Do you think the falsification of the email to the FISA court was an accident? Senator, I am not aware of, uh, okay, uh, Mr. Kleinsmith's activities I was not aware of until I read the IG report.
Um, I know that he has taken responsibility for those representations, and I, um, that, I, I understand that. The errors and omissions in that package, other than Mr. Kleinsmith's uh, uh, admitted activities over the report from the CIA, um, I do not know any of those other errors to have been proven to be intentional acts. Senator, okay, so we've established that Senator Hawley, uh, Senator Hawley, your time has expired. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay, Senator Blackburn. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Chairman. Mr. McCabe, thank you for uh, being with us today, listening to you, just answering uh, Senator Hawley's question. It reminded me that you are spending a lot of your time on CNN these days. And of course, this is not a debate on CNN. This is a hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I have to say, um, when did you go to CNN? I'm sorry, was that a question of when yeah, I Yeah, I, well, I'll answer it for you. Was it in August? Was it in 2019? I think that may be right. I think you're pretty lucky. It might be. I, I, I don't landed. remember the exact date, Senator. Yeah. I don't re I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't remember the exact date, Senator, but that, that, that sounds about sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah, I think you're pretty lucky to have landed a job pretty much anywhere after having been fired from the FBI, and I think that... Uh, the IG publicly flogging you in his report, and the AG fired you a month later, and that was a, a pretty sad demise, I guess, of your career in public service. And um, you were set to retire at the tender young age of 49. Isn't that correct? No, ma'am. Okay. That's not correct. What is correct? Uh, FBI agents become eligible to retire when they reach age 50. Okay. All right. And you've got a lawsuit against the federal government now claiming that you had a record of unblemished and nonpartisan public service. And you're demanding that the court reinstate your employment as deputy director of the FBI and pay you your full pension. Is that correct? That sounds correct, ma'am, but I'll let okay. the legal papers speak for themselves. You know, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, listening to you today and having read some of the things uh, around your uh, career, how did you get caught up in such a web of deceit and obstruction and cover-up? And is this culture standard operating procedure at the FBI? Well, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not sure I understand the point of your question, but I, I also the point don't agree of my with question the is this. I'll help you with it. Let me help you with that. You didn't want to answer Senator Cruz's questions about corruption, and I can understand why. But what you have to understand that as overconfident as you all were in the uh, plot that you were carrying out at the FBI in your government job paid for by taxpayer dollars, uh, you all had created this web and culture of corruption and cover-up 
an obstruction and you thought that you could do it, you thought you would be able to get by with it, but you got caught. Uh, you've said today that you wish you could reconsider your decision requesting the FISA warrant on Carter Page and whether or not Director Comey should have held the press conference on Hillary Clinton. And listening to your your answers, I think it's... I, I have never heard of a an action. Uh, every criminal I have heard in a case, um, they generally will say they wish they hadn't uh, committed the crime or that someone who has done something wrong wishes they had not done that wrong. So you took these actions. You've been called out by the IG and the AG. Uh, why shouldn't you be prosecuted for your actions? Senator, uh, first of all, there was absolutely no plot or scheme or conspiracy among my, between myself or any of the folks that I worked with in the work that you've referred to. Okay. Secondly, I'm not aware of a single, other than Mr. Kleinsmith's admissions, I am not aware of a single act or even an allegation against anyone who was involved in these cases. Was the IG wrong? I'd like to finish my answer, Senator. Well, it's my time and I've only got two minutes of, left. How long have you known Christopher Steele? I, I do not know Christopher Steele. I think you've known him think, about two decades, right? How long I has know, Bruce Orr known Christopher Steele? To be clear, Senator, oh. I don't know Christopher Steele. I've never met Christopher Steele, so that's not correct. And I don't, I can't tell you how long Bruce Orr has known Christopher Steele. Okay. Um, the exculpatory information on the Crossfire Hurricane, um, on Carter Page's recorded conversations, and um that was not disclosed. What are the consequences under the FBI rules Finish for him. when an FBI agent lies or otherwise misleads a federal court? Dang. So the, the uh, failure to disclose the Carter Page information uh, is not a, as far as I'm aware, was not determined to be a deliberate misrepresentation to the court. Um, the, so to answer your question about misrepresentations to the court, generally FBI people would be disciplined in, in the same way anyone in the judicial system would if they were found to have deliberately and intentionally misled the court. So you feel like no one did anything wrong? I am simply following the <laughs> findings of the inspector general, um, which documented Mr. Kleinsmith's intentional acts, but failed to find any evidence, documentary or testimonial, to indicate that the other mistakes in the FISA package were the result of intentional misconduct. Do you think you were wrongly fired? Yes. Yes, I do think <laughs> I was wrongly fired. Yes. And you think you did nothing wrong? <laughs> Delusion. That's correct. Even though the IG pointed <laughs> out that you did. And even though you all had a culture of corruption and cover-up, that you thought it was okay to spy on Carter Page. It was okay to mislead Michael Flynn. 
This is a sad state of affairs, and I am pleased that you are no longer a part of the FBI. Senator, I'd like to answer those allegations. No, yeah, please go ahead. Sorry, reclaiming my time. Yeah. So, uh, no, I categorically uh, refuse to agree with your assertions. Um, no one that I am aware of in the FBI conducted any activity that should leave them uh, susceptible to criminal prosecution, certainly including myself, as someone who's now been the subject of investigative activity for years, uh, for no baseless, uh, the subject of a baseless investigation conducted by U.S. Attorney's Office for almost two years, which concluded in a dismissal of their case. So, no, I don't believe that I committed any crime. I know I never committed any crime working for the FBI. And yes, I believe that the conclusions in the IG's report were baseless. I believe it was a flawed and misleading and deeply unfair investigation that led to the unfair, my unfair termination. Dude, you know nothing about what was done, and Yates and Rosenstein and Comey all said they knew nothing about any of this. Uh, How in the world did it get so far off track? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you. Uh, We'll go to Senator Kennedy next, but this is an important point. Um, If somebody knew that the dossier was unreliable, do they have a duty to report to the system the information they found? I, I, I think that's I think that's true, yes. Okay. Is it fair to fire somebody who knew and failed to report? Well, it would depend, I guess, on the circumstances of where and how that happened, but well, it certainly seems Mc- like that, that could be the result. Yeah. Mr. McCabe, here's the problem. The problem <laughs> is that by June of 2016, it was pretty clear that the document, the dossier, was no longer reliable, that multiple stop signs had been run that the CIA is suggesting that maybe Hillary Clinton signed off a plan to cook this whole thing up. She was defensively briefed. Trump never was. And the fact that this information was gathered in January and March, the stunning to now know that the subsource disavowed the document that was used to get a warrant. And nobody at the top had any idea that that occurred. Uh, it's just, earth-shatteringly disappointing. Do you understand how people could be disappointed in that? I do understand how people could be disappointed in that, sir. I'm disappointed in it myself. Yeah. And the point is, after a while, Mr. McCabe, it gets to be hard to reconcile all of this and come out and say that there was, is it still your testimony that the Trump campaign and the Clinton campaign were equally treated when it came to allegations? I think that the Trump campaign and the Clinton campaign were treated very differently in the court in the context of two very different investigations. Yeah, I'm just saying that it seems to me that allegations were made by both. And I'll close. I'll sum that all up. Senator Kennedy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. McC- is responsible for the misbehavior outlined by Inspector General Horowitz in his report about misfire hurricane. Well, uh, it depends on what you're referring to, Senator. If you're referring to the the intentional misconduct uh, committed by Mr. Kleinsmith, and quite obviously Mr. Kleinsmith is responsible for that. I think from a command perspective, Director Comey and myself and our subordinate leaders are all su- responsible for the failures in that package <coughs> that were allowed to go forward. But if you're asking me who is responsible for intentional misconduct beyond Mr. Kleinsmith's activity, um, I'm not aware that there's been a finding that others were engaged in intentional misconduct. While you were either uh, 
director or acting director of the FBI. The FBI decided to investigate two presidential campaigns, one Secretary Clinton, the other one then-candidate Trump and later President Trump. I want to put aside Secretary Clinton for a second. Um, when, when the FBI decided to investigate candidate Donald Trump, um, what questions did you ask? I mean, at some point, somebody came to you and said, hey, Mr. Deputy Director, we're going to, just, just so you'll know, we're going to in investigate uh, the Republican nominee for President of the United States. Do you remember when you were told that? So if you're referring to our initiation of the crossfire investigation, uh, so the investigation of the Trump campaign, uh, I do remember conversations at the end okay. of July 2016. Okay, I'm not interested in the day. Excuse me for interrupting. I apologize. Um, it, would it be fair to say that the Christopher Steele dossier was the keystone of the investigation? No, sir, that's not accurate. Oh, well, well, what, how important was it? What word would you use? It had no importance. We were not in possession of that information when we initiated the case. Okay. So you're telling me when you initiated the case, Christopher Steele's dossier had nothing to do with your decision to go forward. That's correct. That's your testimony today under oath. It is. Okay. At some point, the Christopher Steele dossier became important did it not the christopher Steele reporting came to us in the middle of september and it became important to us at that time okay now when you heard about the christopher Steele dossier did you uh did, did you ask to interview mr Steele? i mean you're only investigating a candidate for president of the united states after you've already investigated one now you're on the second one did you, did you say, hey, I'm the deputy director here. I'm responsible. I, I want to talk to Christopher Steele. Did you do that? I did not personally speak to Mr. Steele, but our investigative team but, but, uh, traveled but overseas. Why not? You're the deputy. This is what I don't understand about this whole thing, Mr. McKay. You're the deputy director of the FBI. And to investigate the Republican nominee for president of the United States after already investigating the Democratic nominee. And at least in part, at some point, it was based on the Chris Steele dossier. Now, you can run from that one, but you can't hide from it. Did you ever call your guys in or gals and say, hey, just a thought, I think I'd like to talk to Chris Steele to see how credible this guy is? Because you say you've never known him. Did you? Senator, in my entire experience of 21 years as an FBI agent, I am not aware of a single instance of the deputy director of the FBI interviewing a source. And well, I how did many not nominees for president of the United States have you investigated? I, I, I can't comment on that, sir. Now, but you're telling me at no point you ever sat down and said, wait a minute, guys, this, this is now all based or substantially based on Chris Steele. I want to talk to this. I want to talk to this this cowboy. You never did that. That is not an accurate characterization of our investigation. That's and what you just said. You said you'd never talk to him. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. No, sir. I'm just trying to clarify that the steel information didn't come to us until two and a half months after we'd opened the case. Well, when, it, when it came to you, did you say, wait a minute, guys, this is my, my reputation on the line. I want to talk to Christopher Steele. No, Senator. I you sent did. my investigators to conduct the investigation. Okay. Do you know who, do, do you know who Igor Danchenko is? I do not. You have no idea who that is. Uh, I am not going to speculate as to who he is. Well, he was the subsource 
that the Steele dossier was based on. So Senator, you're telling me, you're telling, I'm going to be sure I understand. You're the, you're the, you're the assistant director of the FBI. You've decided to investigate the Trump campaign. You get this dossier, which, whether you admit it or not, was the basis for all the FISA warrants. You never sat down and said, I want to talk to Chris Dossier or Chris Steele. If you had talked to Chris Steele, you would have found out that his subsource was Igor Danchenko. It was his primary subsource. Danchenko was not, he, he wasn't from Russia. He was some guy in Washington, D.C., working for, for Brookings. Um, he went to the University of Louisville. He went to Georgetown. He was buddies with Dr. Fiona Hill. He was relying on his drinking buddy. Why didn't all of you, you folks who are running this show say, wait a minute, this is all centered around Chris Steele. We better talk to Chris Steele and we better talk to, to this guy, Danchenko. Senator, it's uh, important that I get that I get this out. So if you could give me just a second. Sure. Um, I am not sure that the, I have read, I have now read the, the report of the subsource interview and the, the interviewee's name is still redacted in that report. So I do not feel comfortable uh, acknowledging or confirming or denying any identity that might be associated with that person. His own lawyer said well, here, it was here's, him. Here's what, I, what it looks like to the American people. The FBI didn't even try here, the people making the decisions. You wanted to investigate Trump. I mean, this is a nominee for president of the United States. You've already investigated the other one and potentially screwed up her campaign. And so you get the Steele dossier. You don't sit down, you personally, and Comey. You don't talk to, to, to uh, Chris Steele. You don't even ask questions about where he got his information. Had you done that, you would have found that he got it from Danchenko. Danchenko's a jellyhead. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. And it all would have come apart. But you never looked. And it sort of looks like you didn't want to. Is that, a, is that a question? Yes, sir. Yeah. So the, um, I can't possibly disagree more strongly with the way you framed that question. Um, that while it is true that I never sat personally with Mr. Steele or any of his alleged sources, um, our team spent a great deal of effort interviewing him, interviewing other people that they thought were relevant, and trying to get to the bottom of the material that he provided. So, um, no, we were not predisposed to investigating the president. It wasn't something we sought out to do, but we felt that the potential national security threat uh, put us in a position where we were obligated to investigate. That's what we did. And you expect American people to believe that? That is the truth, and I certainly hope they believe it. General Flynn's been prosecuted for lying to the FBI. You lied to the FBI Shame. and you aren't being Shame. prosecuted. Shame. Don't you think that sends the wrong message to the American people? Senator, General Flynn's situation and mine have absolutely nothing in common. I never, ever intentionally misled the FBI or the IG under any circumstances. Oh and I think God. that's probably Why the conclusion that the D.C. Attorney's Office came to when they dismissed the two-year investigation of me. But... You weren't fired for parking in the handicapped parking spot at the FBI, were you? Finish him. You were fired for lying, were you not? I was fired as the result of a deeply unfair and flawed IG investigation, and I am challenging that termination in federal court. Okay. Last question. Shame. Shame. And, and I, do you have any idea, Mr. McCabe, 
I, I don't think Mr. Comey did, does. Do you have any idea how badly you and your colleagues have hurt the FBI? I mean, the premier law enforcement agency in all of human history, and it was just a handful of you. And now when the average American gets a knock on his or her door, FBI need to talk to you. At least half of them are thinking, oh my gosh, is the agent a Republican or a Democrat? They probably know my party affiliation. That's what's up. Do you have any idea how much damage you've done? Exactly. Sir, uh, my colleagues and I uh, never took any action to under to uh, undermine our effectiveness, undermine our oath to this Constitution and the American people and the work that we did for the FBI. I deeply regret how politicized the FBI has become in light of the rhetoric and the relentless attacks levied upon it over the last four years. And I have great faith that my former colleagues will continue to do their work and ignore those We're sort of firing them well, all. Well, at best, what you and Mr. Coleman and the others did, at worst, it was intentional. And, and I, I don't know what's in your head or your heart, but I can tell you what it looked like to the American people at the very minimum. An incompetence tsunami. And they're thinking, how did these guys make it through the birth canal? <laughs> That's what's up. Thank you. Uh, yes. Just to, to, to put a fine point on this, and we'll let you go, Ms. Cape. Thank you for coming. <clears throat> Did you have regular meetings with the people in charge of process? Uh, we had regular meetings. We had impromptu meetings or, or a lot of meetings. You took it seriously. Is that correct? I think everybody took it seriously. Okay. So was Peter Strzok your main source of information? Peter Strzok was one of many sources of information. I met very regularly with Mr. Steinbach, Mr. Priestep. Uh, our general counsel, deputy general counsel, there there are quite a few people involved. Did they tell you that the subsource was being interviewed in January? I did know that the subsource had been interviewed. Did you ever ask the question, how did that interview go? Did it help us, the warrant application? Did it undermine the warrant application? Did you ask any questions about the results of the interview? I did. I remember discussing it very briefly, and I not, who, was not who, informed of any concerns with who, any significant concerns with the things that the yeah. uh, witness yeah. told them. Who did you talk to about the interview? Do you recall? I do not recall, sir. So you remember being told about the, were you told about the March interview? No, sir. So here's the question, I guess. If you ask them, how did the interview go? and nobody tells you that it basically destroyed the dossier, if that's not criminal, is it grossly negligent not to get that information to you? I think that the case team should have had much more detailed conversation within themselves and also with the department attorneys who are writing FISA. Is, is the blame? So, is the, I think the information that they included in the FISA package about that interview, albeit wildly misleading, I think it reflects how they thought about the interview at that time. Um, and I think they didn't think about it critically enough. If you, if you look at this interview and you're not wowed by how unreliable the dossier is, you don't want to see it as being unreliable. Now you're in charge, the number two guy, of one of the most consequential investigations in the history of the FBI. It begins to fall apart. 
One stop sign after another is presented to the FBI. The CIA tells the FBI that this is internet rumor. You need to watch Christopher Steele. The State Department talks about him trying to take Trump down. Bruce Orr talks about you need to watch this guy. When the subsource is actually interviewed, he shreds the document as being reliable. And nothing seemed to work when it came to making sure that the true facts got out to the court and others, nothing seemed to work. Can you give me an explanation as to why, when it came to the sculptory part of this, nothing seemed to work the way it should? Senator, I can only rely on the findings I've read in the IG report. But you were the, the, you were the number two guy. You were in charge of all this. How is it possible that the number two guy in the FBI was not informed about these major breakdowns regarding the reliability of the dossier? How, is, how, how, how did you, were you not informed about the email from the CIA saying, yeah, actually, uh, Carter Page, he was a source for us? Senator, I can't answer for you why I did not know something at the time. Okay. Well, that's the question. I can't comment on it. Yeah, that's the purpose of the hearing. The purpose of the hearing is to make sure that we find answers to how the system fail so it doesn't fail again. And I appreciate you coming. I'm sorry I didn't give you a break. And uh, we will continue in spite of my Democratic uh, colleagues' protestations. We're going to find somebody accountable for something when it comes to crossfire hurricane. And uh, thank you very much, Mr. McKay, for participating in the hearing. I appreciate it very, very much and wish you the best. Thank you. All right. Now, as to why I'm doing what I'm doing, it's just astonishing to me that so much was ignored so often, and you come to the conclusion there is no there there. So what do we know? We know that no defensive briefing was given to President Trump about concerns regarding his campaign, but when there were concerns regarding the Clinton campaign and foreign influence, she was briefed. We know that Senator Feinstein was briefed when the FBI thought maybe a member of her staff was connected to the Chinese intelligence community. All of these investigations of the Trump campaign were counterintelligence investigation, investigations. Not one mentioned to President Trump, you may have a problem with Papadopoulos. Well, if you look at the transcripts of the, of the, the, uh, the bar talk with Mr. Papadopoulos, he says in the transcripts, he didn't even know he was being recorded, that no, he's not working with the Russians. He hasn't received any information from Russia. That would be treason. That would be a crime. The whole premise of Crossfire Hurricane was a report by an uh, Australian ambassador to the United Kingdom that was given to somebody in our office in London. That makes its way back to Washington. They've got all this information where Papadopoulos denies working with the Russians, and they just plow ahead. Compare that to the September CIA memo to the FBI suggesting that Hillary Clinton has signed off on a plan to link Trump to Russia to draw attention away from her e email server problem. This is our CIA telling the FBI they have credible information, an investigative lead, that Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee, is trying to link Trump to Russia for political purposes, and the FBI completely ignored it, apparently threw it in the garbage can, and considered a Australian ambassador meeting in a bar more reliable, 
didn't give it one minute of attention. And the reason that's important, it begins to explain how this all happened. Christopher Steele was on the payroll of Fusion GPS, who was on the payroll of the Democratic Party. Christopher Steele was working for the Democratic Party. He provided a dossier that used a Russian source who was suspected of being a Russian agent years before, and it turned out to be a bunch of garbage. So the reason the FBI should have looked at what the CIA had told them is it begins to make Crossfire Hurricane make more sense, that this whole thing was cooked up in July, that the whole idea of Trump-Russia connections were not real. They were manufactured in part by Christopher Steele, and the FBI bought it hook, line, and sinker. So I think a lot of us on our side are just astonished that when the CIA sends over information to the FBI that they have intelligence that Hillary Clinton signed off on a plan to connect Trump to Russia to divert attention from her, that nobody at the FBI did a damn thing about it. Well, who did they send it to? Peter Strzok. Are you going to have me believe that Peter Strzok was fair-minded when it came to Trump-Clinton? Doesn't it make a lot of sense that the person who hated Trump thought he should lose $100 million to nothing, thought he was an idiot, totally invested in making sure he never becomes president? Is it very far-fetched to say that when he got the information about Clinton, he just purposely did nothing with it? How do you explain a system this out of control? The most high-profile case maybe in the history of the FBI, at least near the top, that when the subsource is interviewed on two separate occasions and the information is damning to the dossier, it's sculptory in nature, it never makes its way up to anybody who actually signed the warrant. What kind of oversight existed for this to happen? How serious were there about checks and balances? Why didn't they go to Trump and do for Trump what they did for Clinton? We think you may have a problem. You need to correct it. It's pretty obvious to us that Crossfire Hurricane started basically with a conversation in a bar. It took on a life well beyond what the evidence would require, that every time it was supposed to come to end, it kept going. Every time they received some information that made the whole premise of the case uh, unreliable, they ignored it. When it comes to General Flynn in January the 4th, the professionals wanted to close out the case against General Flynn because there was no there there. It was the seventh floor that kept it going. They tricked General Flynn into talking without a lawyer, without going to the White House. Um, Sally Yates said they should have de defensively briefed the president if they had a concern with General Flynn. They chose not to. They set him up and acted very dishonorably toward General Flynn. And there's nothing wrong with General Flynn talking to the ambassador of the Russia when he's the incoming national security advisor and the conversations are recorded and there's not one word in there to suggest that general Flynn had been an agent of the Russians at any time. And they've basically tried to ruin the man's reputation. The professionals January the 4th took a hard look at general Flynn and found nothing there. It's just these people at the top who had an insane desire to keep looking at Trump people when the evidence would suggest they needed to stop. Why did they never stop? when it came to Trump, when they should have stopped? Why did they never slow down? Because they had a bias. 
they really were in the tank when it came to to Trump being a Russian agent. No matter what the evidence said, they were going after this guy because in their mind, he wasn't worthy. Why did they not look at the allegations against uh, candidate Clinton provided by the CIA? It would undercut the narrative. This wasn't an investigation that was unbiased. This was an investigation that was out of control. The people in charge of it were deeply biased. Their actions proved more than any more than any direct evidence of their bias. Every time they had a moment to reflect, they they moved forward. Every time exculpatory information was provided, they ignored it or altered it criminally. It's no accident to the American. It's no accident, in my view, that all this happened. This is not a series of random mistakes. This was a concerted effort to keep an investigation going that should have stopped, that should have slowed down. And what's the damage done? They manipulated the FISA court to keep a warrant process going that should have stopped months ago. They created a cloud over the FBI about political bias that lingers to this day. Lawyers are being prosecuted for manipulating evidence to keep a warrant application alive. They were told about information from the CIA that maybe this was all part of a political scheme of the opponent. They ignored it. They knew that the Christopher Steele dossier was suspect. They knew that the source was a prior Russian, suspected Russian agent, and they kept going and going and going. And they never at one moment gave President Trump a briefing that every other candidate should expect. If you think somebody in my office is doing something wrong, I would like for you to tell me so I can fix it. They weren't trying to protect Trump. They weren't trying to protect his campaign from foreign influence. They were trying to undercut the president. They were trying to keep an investigation going against a president, a candidate they despised. They had one standard for Trump, vastly different than that of candidate Clinton. And my Democratic colleagues say, let's move on. To this day, years later, I've yet to find one person who will take responsibility for manipulating the FISA court. I didn't know. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have signed it. So who are we to blame? Is it somebody at the bottom of the pyramid who had all this exculpatory information and for some reason didn't share it? Is that what the system's come down to? Fire them all then. Blaming somebody at the bottom. They take responsibility in name only. They don't seem to appreciate the gravity of damage done to the FBI and to the investigative process when they say, no, of course I wouldn't have signed that warrant. These are the people, Comey and McCabe, not Rosenstein and Yates, who are actually in charge of gathering the information. They're in charge of the investigative part of uh, obtaining a FISA warrant. They gather the facts and the lawyers at DOJ decide whether or not to pursue a warrant. The people in charge of this investigation were notified by the CIA that this may have been a plot cooked up by the Democratic candidate to blame Trump for being involved in Russia when he wasn't. They completely ignored it. And when they were uh, hit hard by the facts that the dossier was a bunch of garbage. It just magically never made it up to their desk. Everything bad about Trump made it to their desk. 
everything exculpatory about the Trump campaign never made it to their desk. How dumb do they think we are? This committee is not through. We're going to keep digging until we find out how the most high-profile investigation of a candidate for president of the United States and eventually a sitting president was handled so poorly and try to let the FISA court know that we take our job seriously. So we will continue this process. People need to be fired. And I think the criminality here um, needs to be looked at. I find it very difficult to believe that this exculpatory information was not withheld from the court on purpose. We know Klein Smith changed exculpatory information. We caught him. There's somebody else out there that probably knows the system uh, rejected the exculpatory information. They just didn't ignore it. To be continued. Thank you. Hearing is adjourned. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this feed and I'm going to restart it so we can have an hour recap of what is going on uh, in the news. It was interesting that we see it because all of the things that McCabe said are going to be used against us. So the questions that were asked McCabe will come back at us when the FISA warrants come forward uh, in the future. So we already have one of the most corrupt ones. Are you going to say what he said was wrong? I mean, this is what you were saying, Feinstein. This is what you were saying, Kiev Klobuchar. This is what you guys were saying, Sally Yates. Uh, You know, and this is how you win. You get them on the record to say all these things with a fake PP dossier. They got a FISA warrant. They went forward for it, didn't read it, just signed it and said, oh, yeah, we might have made mistakes. Well, this time we didn't make any mistakes. We had video, audio, emails, transcripts, interviews, witnesses. They're toast. So I'm going to disconnect this feed and I'll see you in just a few.